Radical Grove Parliament Podcast. Let's go. Yeah. Chica. Chica. Yeah. Nigga. Yes, we are here. Style in the way Numero you can't sweat it. Number one question is Turn can the feds get them? They need to hear me. They need to hear me, dog. Alright, here we go. So we back. First podcast of 2023, Numero Uno. My name is Roche. On the boards, I got DJ Nice. We got the we got the Queen B, Julian, aka Julie, aka Julia Terrace Barbie, and a very special guest. Super special guest, man. I'm fucking pumped up about this one. Uh, let me give it like a little a little uh more they call it in, in the books, a preface. I've been seeing this man around around the clubs for years. Just little handshakes here and there. How you doing? Never got the chance to talk to him. I was blessed like two weeks ago to have a conversation with him. And the whole time I was like, I got to get him on the podcast. Talked to a couple of guys and they was like, yeah, you know, just ask him. And I asked him. He said, yes, I couldn't believe it. And he's here for the first one of 2023. I am super excited. Jumani. Thank you for being welcome, here. Welcome, bro. welcome, 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 welcome. Brooklyn's finest. Thank you for having me. Thank yes, sir. All right. Me. So, uh, like I said just a little bit ago, we what we try to do here is focus uh, and show like different paths of success on you know people that walk to the beat of their own drum and you know take risks, take chances, do things that's not really by the by the the, the normal book as far as like high school, college, job. Uh, let's get into it. Tell us where you're born. I'll explain why. Um, my family's from Brooklyn, New York, but I was born in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and that doesn't seem like a big deal to anyone outside of New York City. But if you're from New York City, where you're born <laughs> matters. It's <laughs> the strangest thing. So people in Brooklyn are like, well, you were born in Manhattan, so you can't really claim Brooklyn. I'm like, we literally just drove Because <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother worked at the hospital in Midtown Manhattan. That's why I was born there. And we drove back the next day <laughs> to Brooklyn. But if you're from Brooklyn, it's like, you can't really yeah. claim BK. I'm like, so, that, so you got to you, you got to say Brooklyn with an asterisk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's I'll get more into that story. I love, but I love, I'm a Brooklyn. I'm I love Brooklyn how boy. serious people from New York are about the different sectors that they're actually from. All the boroughs and, how, and how stuff. It, how, yeah. how much it matters. When down here, you're like, oh, I was born in I was born in New York City, but then it's like, no, we got to you got to dissect you know exactly, it to yeah. the New York is very. Um, complex and simple at the same time <laughs> it's a very strange place but you know it's part of who i am so all right so so born manhattan went back home to brooklyn the, <laughs> the next, next day, day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then so uh grew up in brooklyn the whole time the no, whole way um was in brooklyn first three years of my life then my family moved to west africa wow oh, wow. oh shit my family um my father partnered with another gentleman that um, worked for the PX, which is they sell surplus uh, military supplies from the, U- the U.S. government surplus military supplies. So he moved. Um, we relocated to West Africa, um, Monrovia, Liberia, to be exact. Okay. And I was wow. there from 3 to 13. Wow. So what was that like, those yeah. years growing up there? Amazing. Um, you know, my life up until 13 was kind of a fairy tale. Man. 
It was incredible. Now, uh, for the for the listeners that don't know, kind of describe like the 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 setting of West Africa. So I have to describe the setting of Monrovia, Liberia. Okay. Um, Africa is fifty-two countries. It's mm-hmm. a continent with you know many different cultures, many different tribes, many different languages, um, dialects, and so forth. So Monrovia was like the best way I can describe it is like what I saw in Mayberry, uh-huh. which is like a small town, uh-huh. you know, kind of connected community everybody knew everybody you know the school you know this it's what school you went to mattered you know Mm -hmm. and what neighborhood you lived in but it's it's interesting because liberia was um you know purchased and um housed um um, african americans that were taken back to africa to start the country Uh and so it was very westernized we use the the language is English, <laughs> and you know, the currency is Liberian currency, but you, um, American currency is also um, accepted and more valued. So it really wasn't too far away from life in a small town, mm-hmm. is what I can relate it to. So, so like just kids playing outside and Man, listen. Well, I mean, of course, it is Africa, so right. you know, I've got some stories about you know. Some interesting. We got you. Yeah, you got to give us a couple. Yeah, all I'm so, thinking is like know. he's like about to run out the door, and they're like, "Watch out for cheetahs." <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, without knowing, that's what most people think of Africa. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. you know, I, the only place I've seen a cheetah is in the Bronx Zoo. <laughs> 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 you know, so, so a little bit of um, the backstory. My my family um, was part of the. Um, what was considered uh, the Black Power Movement in the 70s and the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They helped start, well, they didn't help, they were part, they formed a school in Brooklyn, New York, because there was a student protest because the teachers weren't teaching anything about African culture in the school, in the public schools in mm-hmm. Brooklyn that were primarily black, um, you know, black, um, right. the population was primarily of a, of the um, African-American descendants. Um, and the school, the students protested. Some of the teachers didn't agree with the um, curriculum. They decided that they were gonna form their own community school. And that's what they created in Brooklyn. And so part of our upbringing for me, I mean, I was born into that movement. So it was about connecting with your ancestral, you know, um, heritage and going back to Africa was part of that process. So my father, although he took this opportunity, um, that was a financial opportunity, and it went along with his philosophy for life. Yeah. And so that took us there. So we went there um, already kind of gung-ho about, you know, trying to just, you know, trying to reconnect with our African heritage. And it was a very different, interesting experience. Surprise <laughs> so upon arrival. So basically, you know, I was there just excited to be there. And, you know, first thing you kind of walk into is a thick, thick, I mean, extremely heavy humidity. And heat that just sucks the life out of you the moment you step on yeah. the plane. I really, I really took me a second to kind of 
really get my first breath. Like wow. when I got off the plane. You know, I'd grown up in New York, went through the three seasons. When we traveled, we went to, you know, I went to Paris first before I went to um, Liberia. And, you know, the European um, um, climate wasn't much different at the time as far as the, the thickness and the humidity in the air within, you know, east coast of New York. But when I landed in West Africa, we got off the plane. And, you know, this was in the eight, early 80s. So, you know, they rolled the stairs. Oh, yeah, the, um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there wasn't these fancy, right, right. you know, mm-hmm. gang walks. You know, we literally uh-huh. rolled, the, they, they rolled the stairs. They didn't even have the backup truck. <laughs> you know, the truck stepped back up. They just rolled the stairs. And you come down the stairs hoping that you, you know, praying you don't fall from, you know, 24 feet in the air. And, I mean, I stepped off the plane and I just stopped. And it's like, <clears throat> just, it was so thick. Wow. And I just couldn't breathe. And I was like, it scared the crap out of me. I was what three and i never forgot that moment wow and so then from there it's just like the heat the sun is different the like everything and then the i learned that mosquitoes had stripes <laughs> God damn. Yeah. like my first let, listen this is walking off the plane it was like every it was like it was just called it was like just environmental shock just culture it was like everything just slapped you in the face like okay you're in a different place yeah. <laughs> how you figure this life out so that's like that when they say in the that movie Blood Diamonds, like "Welcome to Africa." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's <laughs> this, different. This is Africa, um, you know. And I haven't really experienced that since. You know, I've traveled to a few different places. You know, as an adult, and I've you know you go to the Caribbean, South America, mm-hmm. some different places, and then the, the I guess the weather is a little different. The climate is a little different, but I never had it. I think Jamaica was probably the one place I felt humidity like that again. It happened to me again in Jamaica. Like one time, I went there and I was like, "Damn, this is heavy. This yeah. heavy humidity." I feel like this shit's bad here. Like no. bad enough. No. No, this, this I can is, only imagine. I've never been to Africa. I can just imagine. Just yeah. Once you get used to it, yeah. it's like when you go somewhere else, you're like, "Shit, where's the air?" Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, like the air is so thick that when you come back, when I came back here, I came back in the winter time and. Oh my God! It was cold and the air was thin. Oh yeah. So, so any like childhood memories from that three to thirteen? Oh man, man, listen, there's a world of things I've experienced over in Liberia. I mean, I can tell you stories. I got chased out of a of a mango tree by a snake. Let's start there. Yeah. I hate snakes, so I can only imagine the fear. All right. So, how old do you think you were? Um, probably about nine. Uh huh. Nine ten. Yeah. Um, so we used to have these wars because <laughs> our next door neighbor, you know, a lot of people planted fruits in their yards. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, a tropical environment. Mm-hmm. So people would literally plant things that they would eat throughout the year in their yard. So we had our yard, we had, you know, a mango tree over there. We call them plums, but they're mangoes. Mm-hmm. Um, mango trees. We had banana trees. We had coconut trees. We had, um, <laughs> um they call them soursop. Um, but it's, uh, um, I'm trying to think of another name for it here, but it's a fruit called Salsop. Um, and a bunch of other different things that we would, um, Trust Google. Google. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be right. surprised uh, how much we Google al- here. Almond trees, you know, almond, okay. yeah, we, you, we had almond trees in our yard. Um, sorry, what was it again? Sour, sour, sop, sop. Yes. Sour, like S-O-U-R, yeah, S-O-P. Yeah. So just a bunch of different fruits, but our neighbors, had a really 
big mango tree, right? Like uh-huh. it hung over our yard. Ah. And they had a like banana orchard that was next to the fence, right? So basically, we could be in our yard and take their <laughs> So we used to get into some, you know, some 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 friendly scuffles or over who had the right to the fruits mm-hmm. <laughs> of the trees. So we literally like had whole ha- whole family fights. Like how <laughs> I get into it, the younger brother, my older brother get into it, and then I, my yeah. oldest brother get like it'd be like about eight of us in the yard just scrapping and fighting. Like, like they're like, don't take shit from our tree. Like, oh. So now it's hanging over our yard. Like you don't clean the yard when the leaves yeah. fall. Right. Oh, you yeah. don't get the clay. My <laughs> shit. And the other side of it was as the mangoes would grow. They would pick theirs earlier, and the ones over our yard, they couldn't reach. So they would actually get really big and really ripe, and so those are the ones that they wanted the most. Because, like, literally, we would come home from school, and, you know, that was your snack if you wanted Mm -hmm. one. You can either go in the fridge, get something from the fridge, or you could literally be outside and just hang out there. But So plenty of fights over that. Um, We used to jump, like, we did. Dumb stuff. Was that family? A, was that a, a local family? Or yeah, it was a Liberian family. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Liberian has, um, I think, uh, oh my goodness, uh, I think eleven counties, um, and a bunch. Like everywhere else, it's very tribal. Mm-hmm. Um, we call it racial on this side of the world, but it's still tribal, right? Yeah. right, right. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of different tribes, a lot of different dialects, and so people identified themselves basically by the county that they were from or the tribe. And so our neighbors, I can't remember exactly where they were from, but um, at the t- so we lived in three different homes. Um, Wait, we got to get back to the snake in the tree. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. So in this same neighbor's uh-huh. yard, uh-huh. they had another tree that was on the other side of the yard, and me and the youngest son used to play a lot together. And people would climb in the trees and you know kind of go up and pick the mangoes and things like that. And you know it was just amongst the other things we would do outside of riding our bikes, going surfing, and all that stuff. You know. Who could go to the highest point and pick the one that nobody could get with the thing? But one time I decided to be that brave soul. There was one like way <laughs> up and the shit was red, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was really green and yellow. Like this one was like bright red, which meant it was probably the sweetest one in the tree. So I decided I was smaller uh-huh. and I was a little more, you know, I was a little, a little skinny kid at the time. And I thought I could get up and get it out the tree. And, you know, so I got pretty close to it. Tell you the war. Now all the trees had ants that would protect the trees, and so you had to know how to kind of dodge the ants yeah. and get mm. from one side of the tree to the other before they found you. Because if you got caught in the tree by a bunch of fire ants, oh. yeah, listen, this is yeah, well, it's my truth. So yeah. Um, anyway, I'm going, and I see, I see the mango, and then I see like this little green tip. And I thought it was the stem from another mango uh-huh. that uh, was by the uh, by the one I was going for, right? Yeah. So I'm going for the tree, and I like I'm 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 on a I'm on a skin on a on a really skinny branch. I'm probably like 25 feet in the air now, and uh-huh. I mean, the branch is bending, and I'm like trying to reach, and the stem moved, Uh-oh. and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, so I was like, you know, it just. It, 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 I was like, what the? So I'm trying to figure out what happened. And then I saw why it moved. It was the tip of a green snake's tail. Uh-uh. Oh, and the snake had shit. started to come down. And, 
Yeah, I didn't really climb down a tree. I kind of tumbled uh-huh. <laughs> out of the tree from one branch to the next. And it would, I think it was either like, so where we lived, they had mambas. It was green mambas and, um, and black mambas. Those are the super dangerous ones. The black mambas yeah. are. Black mambas, yeah. The green ones are, they are too, but they're not as um, vicious as the, um, the black ones that chase you like on the ground. Gotcha. Like literally. Aggressive They're extremely aggressive and extremely fast. Uh-huh. And they're extremely venomous. And, but I mean, literally, I just, I, I mean. I can see it. In my- <laughs> it moved. Yeah. The snake came. It started, and I like tried to start jumping down branches, grabbing one to the next to try. And, and then at one point, you know, you just miss. Yeah. yeah. You start literally tumbling down the tree, like grabbing as you're falling. All the ants. And the whole laugh. time. All the ants. Well, I laugh. bypassed the ants because yeah. now. They, they catch <laughs> listen, I, listen, I'll take the bite. Listen, the ants are laughing at him. The ants were not on my mind. Was, <laughs> and the snake literally came all the way down the tree and then kind of like went off into a bush. I was like, why? You know, just. Mm. Damn. If you, basically, the moral of the story is if you see something bright and shiny that you think somebody else would have taken and they haven't, there's a reason why. <laughs> the reason why that, that shit was still there, but you know, that's one of the many stories I have. Trust me, I got plenty. Yeah, no, that's great. I can, I, I love stories like that. I can just, I can just see a young, young Jumani up there, and <laughs> you see the, you see the stem move. How you gonna get out of this tree so fast? Yeah, because I just picture because I climbed like a lot of trees when I was young too, and I was like, I never had any of those encounters. So like, I can only imagine me being up like that high and just like, yeah. I'm I, good. I had one time where I had a swarm of hornets. Like, um, it it had to, I don't know if it was a wasp or hornet. It was about as, about an inch and a half long, and one of them actually stung me in the face. While I was in the tree, again, mm-hmm. you know, we climbed. Like, Damn. It's part of our games. You know, we would play hide and seek. <laughs> that was fun. They, they At what point did you stop climbing trees? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm tired honestly, of getting you just chased don't. in you the learn. Just, it's, it's, You learn. It's like, you know, I've, I've been in a car accident before, but I still drive every day. Yeah. Facts. So, it's like, it's part of it. I remember I was working at the golf course, and we was just being young and stupid and the hornets used to gather up around the trash cans where we would clean the carts out at. And I was over there, and I told a guy, I was like, I can catch that hornet without it stinging me. Swear to God, first time, caught one, and his stinger was hanging out of my thing like this, like I was some kind of fucking ninja. <laughs> and they were like, do it again. I was like, all right. Ah. Went, went, bow, ah! <laughs> and just started smiling up. Yeah. They rubbed a chew in the back all Oh, over yeah, it. yeah, you got to do the tobacco. <laughs> Hey, that was so stupid. Hey, man, it's nothing like finding out you're allergic when you get stung. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But, um, a quick trip. I had to happen to me once. I remember they used to tell me those big bumblebees weren't didn't sting. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's like the myth, yeah. right? Yeah. They tell you they don't sting, right? But yeah. they sting. They sting. <laughs> I just got stung by me for the first time in Mexico. Really? At a wedding. Ooh. K-Stone's wedding. Ooh. That's the yeah, one. Yeah, right Did here. you whelp up? Oh. oh, yeah. They have to call like the medic and everything because it's the first time I've ever gotten stung. Because so you don't know if he was Yeah, they're like, yeah. are you allergic? I was like, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, so have, I missed like, the have, entire like first hour of the reception. Palestine. <laughs> <laughs> Middle East, they don't survive out yeah. there. It's that so, dry heat in the Middle East. So <laughs> the, what, what was the schooling like over there? Schooling was great. The school I went to was a local school. They had a, an American school, which is called the ACS, American Colonization Society, which is the organization that kind of formed the, the first governing party 
in Liberia. Um, they have schools all over the world. Mm -hmm. And um, they that's where most of the children from the American embassy or the uh, military children um, would go. So right. the Marines, their children that were on base or at the embassy, their children would go there. The, the diplomats, the um, ambassador, his, you know, well. So we went to a local school. My parents were very adamant about right. not being tourist. Yeah. <laughs> their, you know, their approach was, you know, if we're going to kind of be here, we need to be part of this community. We can't be the visitors, yeah. you know, trying to take from the community. So we went to a local school. Just so happens at the school I went to, the principal was an American lady that repatriated to um, Liberia. And she started the school there. So the school I went to as a, in elementary was called SPS School of Prime Systems. And so school schools are a big deal over there. Like the pride, like it's almost like colleges here. Mm -hmm. You know how people take pride in their mm -hmm. colleges, like yeah. Clemson and you know State and UNC. Like that's how elementary schools were. <laughs> that's <laughs> wild. Like elementary and high schools. Yeah. You know, the yeah. schools are really kind of like a big deal. And you know there were no. The pro sport teams was only soccer, were soccer teams, mm -hmm. and outside of soccer, like schools and school activities and, and and school sports were everything. And so, school I went to was not not much different than I guess I would say it is much different. It was it was a lot more advanced than the schools that I went to. Well, I can't say I went to here because the school I went to when I left, I was in daycare, mm -hmm. and my mother was the director of the daycare. So, I mean, that was fine, but it was the first. School I went to was in Liberia, an elementary school, and it was it's it was good. It was really good. I didn't realize at the time that it was so far ahead of the uh, educational programming here in the U.S. Wow! And so there, you can't skip grades when you, with a C. So if you had a C, you had to either bring it up to a B or repeat the grade. Wow! Oh wow! Yeah. So C's did. Here they just kind of push yeah. kids along. I right. found out. At thirteen, yeah, that I could pass a class with a D. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, "Okay, that's fine." Sixty-five. Yeah, if you had a sixty-five in a school more than one semester, you would be put out. Wow. Back back in Unbelievable. where I where I grew wow. up. Yes, that's crazy. Sixty-five meant that there was cart. There was like some. I, I guess I ain't gonna speak to it because there was a. Um, what is it called? Corporal punishment? <laughs> yeah. People, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. You were getting, um, <laughs> you're going to have to address a few people <laughs> with that. But I found out you could literally advance a grade with a 65. And yeah, over here. that ruined my yeah. life. Yeah. yeah. That ruined my life. <laughs> I, it did. It, for a short while, it did. You know, so. So yeah. don't make you try. Now, yeah. now what? You don't have to do anything. What brought you guys from, back, from there back to here? A war. A war. Okay. So. Civil war. So I was evacuated in the war. Okay. Um, yeah, I was literally in my... I went to school with... <laughs> the president's... I guess... Well, I guess it doesn't matter now. The president's mistress. Mm -hmm. Her daughter was my girlfriend. <laughs> and oh, his wow. son, Shit. her brother... Uh, her, <laughs> uh, her, I didn't, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> right. yeah. I was like, where's he going yeah. with this? Well, you know... I mean, all right, all right. So, so, so now, now we got a bag. Young, yeah. young people yeah. call it a flag. So, 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 so first off, first off, they there's 
Okay, what was their war about? Yes. Tribalism. Okay, so just, okay. yeah, this is our land, this is our No, well, no. so I, I'll give you the abridged version. Um, you know, West Africa was already kind of broken up by, and through its tribal lines, just like everywhere else, Palestine, mm -hmm. you know, everything had its cultural legacy heritage lines. The U.S. came in with the, um, I think the VCS, Virginia Colonization Society, and bought the uh, and and bought land from certain tribal leaders, and then they kind of in, in, um, instituted a government structure mm -hmm. that had not been in place. So at Liberia is the first recognized country in the continent on the continent of Africa, um, established country, I believe, um, on the continent with a democratic government mm -hmm. um, so to speak so that was brought about in the process the 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 black americans that um relocated to liberia started their own party that was separate from the local tribal leaders and that party was the ruling and controlling party for the um for the I, I, I don't want to get the times wrong, but mm -hmm. for decades, if not, I believe, mm -hmm. probably a hundred, almost a hundred year, years. Or what year was this? Uh, Just timeline. I don't want to get into lies about time. We can Google it. <laughs> <laughs> like 80s, but 90s, just kind of No, broad. this is 18. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about when... when well, I'm, I'm, okay. there's a back, I'm All giving right. you the backstory. Okay. The original party was in control, and those were former Americans gotcha. that were re, um, reinstituted into the Liberian government, right? The local, um, the the, um, the local Africans that were in that same space and time weren't part of that party. Okay. And so over the years, after these relocated um, Black Americans were in control, the ruling party for so long, the locals decided that they were wanted to, you know, take the control, the, the governmental mm -hmm. control of their original land, and so they started different parties. But those parties weren't political parties; they were more tribal parties. Okay. And so the government was overthrown. Basically, there was a, a civil war or uh -huh. a coup. We yeah. call it. It was a coup d'état, but um, which is you know the French term for you know overthrowing the government. Is that like when you see in the movies here, where they like the rebels? Okay, yes. mm -hmm. got it. Exactly. They'll 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 storm the. Mm -hmm. presidential palace, like, you know, kill off everybody, right. you know, and, and take control of the country. Got That's it. a coup d'etat. Gotcha. Right. January 6th was a coup d'etat. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, so that's what happens when people, like, try to overtake government. Right. Through whatever their philosophy is, right? So the president, when we got there, had just won the presidency through a coup. Okay. <laughs> and... The politics behind that, we ain't going to get mm -hmm. into who funded yeah, his yeah, coup yeah. and gave him weapons and right, money right. to win. Um, but so he won, and when he got into office, he brought in all of his – it's another new coup word kids use, like <laughs> nepo something. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. nepotism, basically. Nepo, uh -huh. you know, he nepo bought babies. All, nepo babies, gotcha. right? So he bought all of his um, – tribal partners and buddies and then people that kind of help him win the queue and put them into positions Got even it. though they weren't qualified yep. they weren't vetted it was mm -hmm. just like you know all like, of his yes man all of his homies yeah, yeah, all the homies <laughs> so he put the homies on so <laughs> that's what happened and then the government so all the other tribe felt like 
You know, he wasn't taking care of everyone else. He was mm-hmm. probably taking care of his own and exploiting the country. Mm-hmm. And they decided that they were going to. Oh, so while I was there, literally, for the 10 years I was there, there would be a coup almost every other year. Wow. And the only, only way you know is who won mm-hmm. was back then we didn't have podcasts or internet. So it was like right. you sat and waited for the radio. The mm-hmm. And the president would come on. This is Samuel Kayendo. I'm just, I'm still the president of Liberia. They tried to overthrow us. They would never, you know. And so, every like, yeah, every few years there was a coup. And Now, the, during these coups, you're mm-hmm. still living normal childhood oh, well, life. And you try to. Um, in the, so, I, unless, unless someone's grown up in a war zone, you really can't explain it. But it's like... During the day, sometimes the fighting is down or not in your area, and so you try and go about life. But right. then, when the fighting comes to your area, you just try and get to a secure point. Yeah, you gotcha. You know, uh-huh. you, you say yeah. so. But the benefit was my father. You know, he had changed positions over the years, and he was a he worked for the State Department. So basically, we could go to the um, secured compounds that the embassy held. So sometimes we had you know. Armed guards, security guards, and and all you know, in all of these countries, there's everybody got six foot fences mm-hmm. with you know metal gates, and um, you know, so fight. The fighting is going on, is and hopefully it doesn't come to your to your to your yard mm-hmm. <laughs> or your fence, but it's happening around you. Yeah. And then it go it dies down in that time while they're taking a break from killing each other. People try and go about life. Yeah. So it's it's a on and off switch. Yeah, very and interesting. So then the one, then they got to a point to where when you got evacuated, it was bad, bad. So this is, I'll tell you my evacuation story. Yeah. I'm in school. We know that the guys, there's been threats of this, um, these, these rebels coming in, right? We know that has been around for a couple of weeks, but they've been making their way to the, to the capital city from, you know, outer, outer regions. They've been slowly kind of drugging, getting closer and closer. They've been trying to fight them off, but now they're getting close. I went to school where what we would consider like if you live in Charlotte and you went to school, let's say in Matthews. Mm-hmm. So at the time, you know, my school was further out than the center city where the embassy of my dad was. And the president's son went to school with me. And that day, we literally, they had reached the border of the city and we could hear the gunshots and the mortars and whatnot going off while I'm in school. It's got to be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, at some point, it's, you kind of get desensitized to it but you know it's still scary Mm -hmm. because it had never been that close right like full-on war had never been that close so um in school they start so they start trying it's it's really no emergency drill so teachers and everybody's panicking (laughs) you know it's like oh go in the room go in the room get on the floor stay down stay down stay down and then we kind of hear vehicles, and there's this long dirt road that led up to my school. You can see this car just blazing down. It's a long black car blazing down the road, dust flying. And you know, then I see the guy stand outside with the um, with his with the with the guns on. And the president has sent his car to pick up his son and and the son and his um and the the sister, my girlfriend. Gotcha. <laughs> so wow. he he sent the car to pick them up. And so while their car was coming and they were getting and they left and I just see a, there's another vehicle coming down the road. It's a suburban. And once I saw it was a suburban, I knew it was for me. Right. So so there was the son, mm-hmm. okay, and then the the sister. Mm-hmm. You said but that was actually the president's mistress mistress daughter. 
daughter. Yes. Said, okay, yes, that's yes. So he had a son with his, with, with the mistress. With, okay. So they, you know, so but basically. Th- but then he had a daughter with the mistress. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Both, of the, both no. of the. Both. So <laughs> his son was the mistress, was, um, was by the. President, the boy was the president's son. The girl wasn't his uh-huh. daughter. Mm. Okay. So she had a daughter before they got together. Gotcha. And uh, then so, okay, but okay. you know, so now his son's sister, a sibling, is his mistress' daughter. So Wait. he had to take care of her too. Mm-hmm. Which is your, time, and which she was, was your girl. My first yeah. girl. You're the first, first girlfriend. First, right. first girl. <laughs> and then, so they get scooped up. So they get scooped up. <clears> Wait, they didn't scoop you too? Why? <laughs> oh, no. Nah, listen, no, no, the no. president didn't know who I was. No. He knew my dad. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. Me, or if he did, he wasn't worried about me at the time. He was worried about his life. Right. Um, yeah. So they came, picked, the, picked them up. And then another vehicle come down is coming down the road, blazing dirt road fast, and I I knew it was for me. Yeah. So my dad had sent the um, cavalry to come pick me up and take me back to our home, which was in a little secure embassy compound. And then that night we had to get evacuated, driving through gunshots and roadblocks and soldiers with guns out and you know threatening and questioning. And so at this point, it doesn't matter your status or who you are. They want what they want and they generally wanted money in order for you to get by or they threaten to kill everybody in the car you know so, oh, so. <laughs> wow well, like what was your demeanor going through this do you remember <clears throat> um it was a little you know it, it was a little frightening but i kind of grew up with this like my dad was like superman right so i'm like so long as he's handling it i, I felt we would make it mm-hmm. right. but it was still scary but we had gone through a couple of different iterations of things like this um, I had had soldiers kind of point guns at me, take my clothes, like threaten to kill me. I mean, as a kid, literally, <laughs> just threaten to kind of kill me if I don't give them what they want. And it's like, you know, like, what do you want? I'm, I'm, I'm 10. Like, how much you think I got? Right. Uh, yeah. you're, you're, you're American. You got something. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so you were 10 or 13 at the time this all was, was happening? Um, I was 13 at, when we evacuated. That, okay. Yeah. But I was saying it was. I've had multiple... So they were, it was more of a police state. They didn't uh-huh. really have a strong police force. So the soldiers really were the law enforcement right. arm of the um, government. When you when you evacuated, where'd you go? Went to London. Okay. Um, yeah, we, they drove us, got us through. My dad worked it out, and they had they was taking all Americans to the airport, and they were like, "Get on this plane. We'll let you know when we figure it out. <laughs> like, yeah. We send the yacht to London because it, it was no directs mm-hmm. from yeah. U.S. to mm-hmm. West Africa at the time. So they sent us to London. It was just me and my brother. I was 13. He was 16. And we stayed in London for, I can't remember how long. It was a, it was a little while. We were there long enough to rack up a few thousand dollars in hotel fees from I stayed at a nice hotel, Heathrow Penta. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Heathrow. yeah we was at the Heathrow Penta. Stayed there. Literally, imagine a 13 or 16 year old mm-hmm. in a hotel mm-hmm. in London by themselves. Life was good for them. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so why was it just you and your brother as opposed to your whole family? Well, my older siblings were already back in the U.S. Because the way out, the way that we our protocol went was as you grad once you graduated high school, you went you came back to America to go to college. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So my my two older brothers. And my sister had come back already, um, and so it was just me and my and the brother that's right before me. That was we were the last two children okay. in Liberia at the time when this when the civil when this became a full on um, civil war and coup. Because prior to that, the coup would kind of spark up and then it die down, yeah. and then 
the president drive through the city in his motorcade, you mm-hmm. know, bragging about how he won. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Probably shouldn't do that. And then, so <laughs> how, how, now, did your parents come to London to meet you? at no. a certain? Yeah. No, they stayed? Yeah, they stayed. Um, my dad was essential personnel. Uh-huh. And my mother ran the guest house for USAID, um, which wow. is USAID. Uh-huh. Um, and so she ran the guest house. And there was another test, a commissary, I think, that she ran. So she, all of the the central personnel had to be managed and she was responsible for that. My dad was kind of a liaison on the ground for the U.S., so he couldn't leave. So it was just me and my brother, and then we came back. It's like the most fascinating parents on earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, like what? so, yeah, we um, yeah, we went to London, hung out. First time I, I mean, I, in Europe, I learned that, you know, nudity is – not as forbidden as it is here in the U.S. Um, nope. You know, first time I saw like you know a woman like a woman's breast on TV, mm-hmm. like you know not sneaking to through a you know we had magazines, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We, had to, yeah. <laughs> we had to sneak through yeah. dirty porn, uh, porn yeah. magazines, yeah. you know, find my dad's stash, yeah. But Take, you know, or oh, you know, yeah. you, got, oh, know. you had a Betamax tape, mm-hmm. <laughs> dirty Betamax tape with no label on it. Yeah, <laughs> are you are you old enough to have the dirty Magazine stash I didn't on the, the treehouse. I didn't do magazines. My first interaction with pornography was actually my parents back in the day used to do the uh, the illegal cards for Direct TV. Oh yeah, was oh, y'all on that? Wow, yeah, Where you, you could. You are so young. you're younger. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> so I, that's how I would like get my mine. Mine was in video form. Yeah, okay. <laughs> or, or actually. As, or the internet, my dial-up internet. I could oh. get some stuff on there, too. Oh, wow. I was probably about, like, fourth grade or so, third or fourth grade, and an older kid that lived down the street told me, he goes, he goes, he goes, your dad's got some dirty magazines in his closet. Every dad does. <laughs> so one time when I was at the house by myself, I, was, I snuck in the closet, and I was up there, and I was, I was like, ooh, I found them. Go. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, like, like, we, like what, you know, then it's like, I'll invite all the boys over to the house, yeah. and we go back there, and we're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Then we make sure we put them back right. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And stuff. then one day I was back there looking just by myself, and I heard him come in, and I took it, and I, like, threw it behind the clothes. <laughs> And then I was like, I got I had to get back to his closet to put it back, and I could tell he knew. Like, yeah. When you get older, you know he knew. He's yeah. laughing. I had a question for yeah. you. Did any of the pages stick together? <laughs> <laughs> and man, this was just kind of you know, struggling not, with this one. You know what? They probably did, but I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. So I just, just, <laughs> what's wrong with this one? Must have gotten wet or some yeah. shit. Uh, magazine used to go through some things. <laughs> and, then, and then when we got it, we had the ones that we kept out in the woods, the stash out in the woods. Oh, man. Those great times. Yeah. And you find out the levels of magazines, how, like, the different ones got dirtier. Mm-hmm. Oh, like Playboy was like the base. Yeah, Playboy, oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 Playboy yeah, yeah. was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so. So, so yeah, we, we went to London, yeah. stayed there. Then we got went back to my grandmother's house in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, now, was there ever a visit point? Did you ever go from, from Africa to America to visit? Yes. In between? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So you kind of got to keep up with what was going on. Um, somewhat. So the way we got our <laughs> news and information, um, people would, we would. People would send us, ship us tapes. Uh-huh. Like, like I said, you know, we had Betamax and VHS tapes back then. So I I used to love um, wrestling. Yes. WWE mm-hmm. wrestling. 
it was I think it was WWF. It was. It was. Yeah. You know. So um. W. Yeah. WWF wrestling. I. You know. Cosby shows. Literally things like that. We would get. We would get the whole season and a tape. People would because you would watch the show and, and record, record it, it to yep. the tape <laughs> and then they'll send us the tape so that's how we kind of stayed up with things other than that it was bbc the only cable channels we had over there were it was not even cable satellite this was that, before cable mm-hmm. yeah. we had the big you know the big 12 dish. foot satellite mm-hmm. dish, dish yeah. and we got two channels on it and that was espn uh-huh cn oh three espn cnn and bbc the, i think the, the BBC. something like that yeah the bbc network that was the only chance. So as a kid, you really didn't. The only thing you could do was watch a sports mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, and ESPN was not as fun as it is now. No, right. <laughs> well, Back I then, remember old ESPN. Oh, my God. It was worse. <laughs> if you weren't watching the game, you you would not watch ESPN yeah. for mm-hmm. anything. So that was how we kind of stayed up with everything. We would have to go to a telecom center to call here. Like, you couldn't call U.S. from um, your home because your home phone only worked in a local network. Mm. And so you would literally go to a call center. <laughs> and, and then use that to make an internet, right. like the national internet call. cafe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. So it's like all these new iterations of things. This is kind of, yeah. So I was, I was in the old, you know, dial by rotary phone. I remember the rotary too. <laughs> yeah, my grandma Space. had one. So every time we go there, I'd like watch my mom. Like, what the fuck are you yeah. doing? I'd everything was Punch the numbers in. Everything was old. Like the typewriter I learned to type on, even though it was in the 80s, was an old metal. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, like the round metal. The round So, yeah. But um, so that's why I said Mayberry, because even it was almost like 25 years removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like living you know, years behind. Right. And in some aspects. I had some friends that was so rich. They, I remember the first time I saw a CD. It was like in 80, 88, 89 <laughs> or something like that. And he got had it in his BMW. Yeah, we, we had some friends over there that uh-huh. were wealthy. Right. Like, I didn't understand what wealth was until I was in Africa, but I was too young here. But I saw wealth there. Uh-huh. Right. And I, I didn't understand what it was then because then I came here and I saw people that were rich. Mm-hmm. But then I realized... There's a big difference between, <laughs> between yep, being yep. rich and being wealthy. wealthy. Yeah. And I had a whole conversation with this dude. I went to Nashville about that. I was like, he was like, explain it to me. I'm like, I mean, you just, there's a, I was like, I promise there's a difference. It was like a whole hour conversation, like the yeah. difference between being rich and being wealthy. Yeah, so it's a, it's a big gap. But so <laughs> there, it was it was interesting because most, most of the things you live with there are kind of, like I said, uh, a time removed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a little bit older. Um, but then you had some of these folks that were wealthy that would bring over new things and stuff, you know. And it's like mind-blowing to see. <laughs> so, but, so that's how we kept up with things. People would ship things right. over. And we had friends and family that would send us things to keep us kind of up to date. I remember I got a Bart Simpson sweater and we didn't have... Bart Simpson on TV. I thought I, I thought I was cool because I had it, yeah. but nobody else knew who yeah. Bart Simpson. Unless it was the more privileged family right. that had uh-huh. traveled and they see him be like, oh, yeah. like wow, you know, you got a Bart Simpson. But so simple things like that. But that's how we kept up was through BBC, CNN, ESPN, and then other than that was the tapes that we received. Tapes and magazines. Like mm-hmm. my best, one of the best times of the year for me was when we would get like the Spiegel magazine uh, catalog. Uh-huh, I don't yeah. know if y'all Spiegel. So I grew up like a belt, it's like a belt catalog. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Department so, store catalog. So that's how we yeah. kind of really 
kept yeah. like when we get those, I was like every year they'll yeah. send a new one out and we'll get one. And it might be six, uh, three months after the season, but yeah, it was a big deal for us. Right. That's how we knew what new toys were, right. yeah. what new clothes were, like everything. Oh, I had a privilege growing up. Most of my clothes were tailored. Wow, it's just a little just flex. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, you don't think about it when it's happening, but like yeah. if we had to go to parties and whatnot, uh-huh. we would take pictures out of catalogs. Go to a store, buy the material, and then take it to our tailor, and he would just he'll okay. make yeah. he'll, yeah. he'll look at the picture, no no pattern, nothing, and literally make, make what's it. in yeah. the picture. Amazing! Wow! And I mean that that's how a lot of people yeah. uh, live. Um, but so some of my stories. Yeah, and, and so so yeah, he has his own personal Dapper Dan. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> my brother was he had yeah. a snakeskin jacket, a snakeskin a snakeskin vest, a matching snakeskin baseball cap. He had a maid. Was it the snake that chased I was about to ask the same question. <laughs> yeah. Was it the snake from the back? They find him in the bush and drag him out. But like, no, don't chase my brother down the fucking tree. If I found a snake, then I would have had a belt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. So now let's uh, now let's go to like let's say like high school in New York City. Okay. So um, Africa was amazing. Yes. I mean, amazing. London was fun. I know, just about your time in Africa. I went to, then coming back to Brooklyn, um, I think the first time I came back to visit was 88, and that's Uh the first time I realized the world was different. Because my community was very incubated um, as a child for the first three years of my life. Like, we we had, everybody on my block were full families, mom, dad, you know, children, sometimes grandparents and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the heart of Brooklyn, New York. And so I didn't grow up under the, um, I guess, the stereotype community space of, you know, no dad in the home, single parent home. Mm-hmm. Like everybody on my block was families mm-hmm. and they protected each other. And so I grew up in a very incubated um, space. And even when we went out of that, the communities that we went to were family and community driven. You know, all of, most of my friends had fathers and homes, you know, and parents that were educated. Right. I didn't come from, I don't, I didn't know the stereotype, but then I came back to visit in 88 and I had a really big culture shock in Brooklyn. And I realized something happened from when we left in the early eighties to 88. And I mean, it was a catastrophic change where we went to visit my cousin and they lived in what was considered a project building. Um, Noble Drew, I think Noble Drew Homes in East New York. And before, it had a big courtyard, you know, like, I think, I can't remember the height of the building. I, would, I guess about, like, 10 stories, not 10 stories. But um, big courtyard, all the children would play in the courtyard. You know, it had mm-hmm. a regular fence, you know. Yeah. Yeah. When I went back in 88, it was a fully gated com- um, entry with a turnstile gate. Like the subway turnstile. Like the subway turnstile. And all the residents had to give their bag to security and walk through the gate. So basically, you couldn't walk right into your own apartment. Right, right, right. And then they had these big, huge metal bulletproof doors that had to be buzzed to to open. This was not the world that I left. Mm -hmm. And we came back to it. And so um, that was the first shock. And then just... Some of the other things I saw when I was here, just so that's when I left. Um, there was I had not heard the word "nigger" used. 
casually. Uh-huh. When I came back in 88, it was a friend, my cousin, I came down here and he was like, yo, man, these niggas in power. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And right, he was like, right. what? And I was like, keep saying nigga. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? He's like, nah, it's just what we say now. Like, And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not what I say. Yeah. Like, he's like, man, nigga, this nigga. I was like, all right. So we actually got into a little scuffle behind that. But so my world really changed when I came back. Um, it was just uh, the way people engaged, the way they communicated. You know, the music was different. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. You know, the, the cars were, 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 were flashier, you know. And so. Any, uh, any idea of what the, the catalyst was behind the change? <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what the catalyst was. It was social, social control. <laughs> it was social programming and control. Every few years, governments do certain things to keep this population down. And the most marginalized population, you know, has been black and brown. Mm-hmm. And so economically, it's best to kind of keep those. So my background, my, my, my academic background is in um, architecture engineering. And so that I thought at the time it was about buildings. But I learned later that architecture is more about people, mm-hmm. society, culture, and worlds. And I also learned about how governments plan. They plan, you know, one, three, five, 10, 15, 25, 50, 7,500. Those are year plans. So most governments have plans. They have uh-huh. a one-year plan, a one-year budget. They got a three-year plan, three-year budget, five-year plan, five-year budget, 10-year, 15, 20, 25. And so in those plans, sometimes if you keep a community kind of economically depressed, it can be in your plan to redevelop that community later. So gotcha. the best thing to do is to kind of keep that population um, depressed so you can reacquire that It's space. almost like, if you think about it, building 485 with two lanes first so that you can come back and build it for four lanes later. Well, so it keeps a constant project on the books. So the difference in that was they always knew they was going to build it for four lanes. The problem right. is they can't acquire the land without battles that will prevent them from doing that so the way you do that is you you know you you squeeze people out slow but basically (coughs) social political cultural economic um controls is what put the community in its place um drugs removal Mm -hmm. of um of effective education programs Mm -hmm. creating social programs that literally um broke families apart that said you know, in order for you to get benefits, a man can't be in his home. So if there's a man in his house, then the, then the family can't receive benefits. Mm-hmm. So then you had families who men that literally had to leave their families in order for them to actually make, um, get enough um, governmental sup- government supplementation, uh, supplemental funds to support the family. And so breaking apart families, and that supports a criminal uh, 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 criminal justice system that is that funds a lot of different developments. You now most jails and courts are right in downtown areas. Extremely valuable real estate. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, there's the, the social economical planning behind cultural um, oppression, you know, it mm-hmm. goes deep, but not really here for all of that. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> God, I could talk about this stuff oh, yeah. six, seven That's hours. So, yeah. yeah, but it was, a, it was a big culture shock. So going back to Brooklyn, I came into, you know, a very aggressive energy that I had not seen or known before. Um, I had never experienced before. 
you know, I got teased because, of course, you know, I grew up in Africa, so, of course, there was a lot of African jokes. So right. My favorite movie is Coming to America. It still is to this yeah. day. But <laughs> great. I, I think it's funny, but I relate to it in some right. way because yeah. I lived some of those experiences, like literally getting off the mm-hmm. plane and, like, just the the energy and the, and, the, and the way people were talking to you in the moment is like shocking. It's like, holy shit. Like, yeah. What did I do something to them? Like, no, they, they're just, just how it is. being fucking New Yorkers. Right. <laughs> so. how, do you think, how much of a, of a role do you think like the media and music stuff played in that, that shift, that change? Um, I think the media came, the, the media plan had been in place since, you know, the inception of film. Right. Like, you know, if you go back to kind of, history like one of the biggest flips in culture in america was after reconstruction and then the jim crow era Mm -hmm. you know a lot of that kind of came after the um there was a film that came out birth of a nation i believe and then kind of culture so media is always driven kind of social and cultural ideologies in many ways and so that's been in place since its formation so i to to say what role it plays it plays a role in everything we do Every single, every aspect of our life, it is the mm, the propaganda machine for any social, cultural, or political um, mission that exists. So, <laughs> are you regretting bringing me on here now? <laughs> oh, <not at> <laughs> this is this is what anybody knows me. This is like what Roche. Yeah, this is yeah. this is Roche. Like, look, I thought we was coming to talk about nightclubs. <laughs> no, We're no. getting there. Don't worry. Yeah, 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 I thought. I, listen, I was gonna tell you how I learned to kind of pour a drink like that. We're getting there for sure. Yeah. Uh, anybody, anybody knows they're like, yeah, Roche may, you know, he may, you know, that that DJ should know. He would. Nah, nah, this stuff is. Uh, this is it's what, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Just but it's, it's truth. It's it's like a hidden truth. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you got to realize it. All the movies we watch, they are the same. I fall asleep to Dick Gregory videos if that paints a picture. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I love Dick Gregory. He's funny. I yeah. can't listen to his shit too much. Though. He goes way off. But I mean, all the movies, all the shows, all the things we watch are the same. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. watch Game of Thrones, if you watch um, Lord of the Rings, if you watch Star Wars, if you watch Avatar, if you watch like. All of them are the exact same. Yeah. Yep. They there's sure one rolling. There's one controlling power, you know, that mm-hmm. feels that it should kind of keep everybody suppressed and controlled under its rule. And then you have this rebellion that's coming up. And then you got the savior. Mm-hmm. That's the the one key person that can change everything in the world. It's all the same mm-hmm. damn story. And pretty much it just is conditioning. Yep. The more you see it, you know, for me, the conditioning, I see it in so many different ways. I don't watch certain things on, I don't have social, personal social media. So I've, I don't watch any videos of people getting shot by cops. I don't right. watch any videos of people being victimized um, because, you know, you become desensitized to it. And after a while, you know, you don't kind of object to it as much. And so it's done, it's, it's all part, you know, it is what it is. It's all the same thing. It's all the recreation of the Bible story. Yep, that's what I was about to much. say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same. It's the recreation of the Bible story, you know, the rebellion and the Savior. Mm-hmm. You know, so which side do you pick? Which yep. is right? Which right. is wrong? Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, so do what what constituted the change in Brooklyn? Who knows? Society, yep, culture, some, and politics. <laughs> some people though. wanted control and power, and other people were the catalyst for mm-hmm. it. So yeah, uh, so now Eric B and Rakim. <laughs> <laughs> so what music were you listening to when you were in Africa, and compared to what was 
relevant or current here? Were you behind on that as well? Were you getting like ship music tapes? Nah, music is easy. Yeah. Come over airwaves. Right, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, this game went down. Jam that truck myself. Shit. Um, so no, we got music kind of like probably a month after it came out okay. know, on average. Because again, I had a lot of friends that were wealthy, so they would literally be flying back and forth, and they couldn't wait to brag about what they came back. With, mm-hmm. You know. So you know, who was the first rapper that you got turned on to? Oh my goodness! I mean, of course, it was um, it was um, um. Yeah, hot. yeah. Sugar Hill Gang. So before I went, my uncle used to DJ. He used to be a radio station DJ in New York. So we had block parties in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, I was born in the '70s in Brooklyn, and rap was part of our like literally uh-huh. part of the, some of the first words I could speak. Did you get to see song. like the Cool Hergs and? So Curtis no, Blows? I didn't see them. My dad did. So right. my dad actually used to help them do the first rap parties in Brooklyn. Because the school, the school that we, <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> yeah. Well, he ha- he's been um he's been given an award. Well, he was given an award by the um the the hip hop hall of fame because <laughs> casual. <laughs> yeah. uh, I didn't I didn't know this till a few years ago. Yeah. But, um, His dad was just like, yeah, I got one of those. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. So they, when rap was coming out, it was like music today. He was like. The adults were like, yeah, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. We don't want any. So they didn't have anywhere to have these parties because they would have them in the park. But then when they wanted to have, they used to have to break into old abandoned buildings or where, wherever they could to do these. And so. Yeah, Beat Street. It's like, yeah. So the school that my parents started, they had, uh, it was a big, it used to be an old military armory. Uh-huh. So it, it still had a war, it had, still had a tank in the basement. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a full armory. I'm right. talking like tens of thousands of square feet with multiple layers with the skinny, like, you know, gun ports and uh-huh. whatnot. You know, the brick, the, the brick castle looking armories mm-hmm. in the heart of Brooklyn. That's the building that my, um, that the, or, the organization my parents were part of. And so they would host concerts there and shows. And my dad let them do the first hip hop parties at a like a, a an established venue in wow. Brooklyn back Damn. in the seventies. <laughs> and I, I mean, I didn't know all of this at the time. I was too young, but I learned later. Like a lot of the things that I was around, because he would take we would be with him while he was kind of setting stuff up and whatnot before he dropped us off home. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was, but yeah, so. That's, uh, I was around it for, I was yeah. around hip hop. And so by the time we were in Africa, my parents were into Motown stuff, mm-hmm. you know, um, the Curtis Mayfield, <clears throat> and, you know, you know, my mom, of course, like every, you know, um, black mother at the time was, you know, Marvin Gaye's other wife in her head. <laughs> <laughs> she won't admit it to yeah. this day, but so true. when you say Marvin Gaye's name, she just, mm-hmm. you just see her kind of like, you just see her kind of like just sit back a little right. bit <laughs> in her head like, mm. uh-huh. but so we did, I did a lot of that growing up. Um, I did not have a ton of international music options, um, but there were some, you know, some local musicians that we would hear the music on the radio and, you know, it was cool, but more of the music, the most popular music there was hip hop, mm-hmm. hip hop and R and B, and that's that was really the most popular. Like Michael Jackson was the king of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Everything like people does, don't yeah. realize in America, they don't understand fandom. <clears throat> like people in America, I I've never seen fandom here the way I've seen it in other parts of the world. Like whether it's for soccer, um, soccer players or uh, musicians. Mm-hmm. I like I've seen people like like fan out here uh, right. but I mean like they've 
drops it's, dead. Like, yeah, yeah you see videos like Michael Jack, like Michael popping up and shit at concerts like overseas, like in Asia, and girls just start passing, passing out. out. Yeah, it's immediately. Insane. I remember the biggest concert we had uh, over in Liberia at one time was the. Uh, it was the um, I forget the name of it. It's a reggae show. It was uh-huh. with Yellow Man, and um, at the time it was Yellow Man and somebody. It's, it's a big reggae concert, reggae sun, sunsplash or something like. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a huge reggae concert. And I mean, they it was the biggest concert that we had ever seen in the country, and they filled up a, a soccer stadium, and the whole soccer stadium had a cloud. Yo. I don't know, my dad wouldn't let me go, but <laughs> he, we drove by because my brother went. Uh, he was probably like 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my oldest brother, when he was 14 or 15, he was a manager of a nightclub over there. Wow. <laughs> wow. What? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we've been, so music was part, music has been part of our lives all, all the way through. It's been, it's been in us. And so we really did a lot to stay current. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but the uh, popular music was hip hop, R&B, pop, you know. That like Michael was king of life. He was. He and, was yeah. you know, but my <laughs> my, my era and my era in rap was, you know, LL Cool J. Um Run DMC was cool, but I wasn't the biggest Run right. DMC fan. I like Walk This Way, but um I'm like Heavy D, Rob Bass, you know, that era of rap is kind of where I where I really CL. CL Smooth. He came later. later. That was in high school in Brooklyn when CL Smooth came around. So that first, that your first was the that first profile label. The LLs, Heavy D was there. Heavy, yeah. Well, well, again, first was Sugar Hill Gang, Sugar Hill. Melly Mel, Furious Five, um, <coughs> Grandmaster, Grandmaster Flash. Flash. Yeah, um, you know. So that Big was Daddy like Kane. The, Big Daddy Kane came after those after. guys. Yeah. So yeah. Later on, Big Big Daddy Kane came a little later. Like I said, Rob Bass was the biggest, was one of the biggest songs over there. Um, Heavy D, mm-hmm. you know, Chub Rock, um, Treat Him Right was big, you know. So. What was the Heavy D record that was that? Um, oh my goodness. Was it good? Good to you or no? No, good to you did, came later. It's probably did. like got our own thing. Yeah. Or, Got our own thing. Or dilly dilly dilly. I think. I think. Yeah. Dilly dilly, like dilly dilly. Yeah. Remember when he did that shit on Fresh Prince? That dilly oh, dilly dilly dilly. dilly, 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 dilly. dilly. It so fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nah. He's actually. I mean, he's in my top five. Oh members. yeah. God. He's a lot of. You know. Everybody's top five is unique, but mine, Heavy D, has been a staple in mine. What is your top five? I ain't gonna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the top, I like the top five conversations. Yeah. You can, you can. Heavy's in there. Okay, yeah, okay. Heavy's in there. But um, so literally, that's that was the music that kind of that we grew up to, and it really didn't feel much different. Like I said, it wasn't uh, heavy international driven music. Okay. So all the stuff we hear now, Afro beats and whatnot, wasn't kind of mm-hmm. part of the culture then. My dad loved Heavy D. I had the the tape for now that we found love the full tape, mm-hmm. and he used to he he would he, he my dad was a Motown guy too, okay. and he just he thought it sounded like a lot of the R and B cuts on the the record. He New Jack Swing, yeah, he loved it. New Jack Swing. My soda. dad loved New Jack Swing, and when the Miami Booty shit came out, ah. <laughs> I, remember, I remember we was we was at the beach, and he made my mom take me. To the rec- to the record store to buy all the tapes of like Whoop there it is and Daisy Duke. Mm-hmm. All, I got all of them like he loved that shit. <laughs> hey, listen, it's fun. It yeah. was it's very fun music. Yeah. So, 
That yeah, that was great. I just remember that sitting at the pool at the beach and my dad's like old man over there and just like oh you guys like, <laughs> oh, baby kicked him baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was far from that one. I was listening to Four Tops and Temptations. Yeah. I wasn't. Yeah, that was that, that was my mother's um, Sunday afternoon music groove was. The Motown sound. Mm, yeah. Have y'all seen the 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 Barry Gordy Motown documentary? I think Showtime mm-hmm. did it. Yeah, it was good. Hitsville, USA. Mm-hmm. Yes, <sighs> yes, 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 yes. <clears throat> that was yes. fantastic. I'm gonna watch that again. Actually. All right. So now where are we are. So high school. Now I guess we can kind of get into. I it. went into high school. High school was tough. Um, transitioning from Africa to Brooklyn. Like right. Going. So I, you know, it the way. <laughs> Trying to think of a clever way to say it without sounding like an asshole. <laughs> That's okay. Brooklyn. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> well, you know, uh, this shit lives for, mm-hmm. you know, in perpetuity. So I don't want to have to kind of explain this later to someone. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You ain't got social media to. <laughs> no, no, but they do. <laughs> but they do. So high school was very tough for me. High school was tough because. I came back, the protocol for U.S. schools are you have to have two years here before you can get a high school diploma, two mm-hmm. years in a school year. My brother and I came back when we, we had to take placement tests. When we took placement tests, my placement test put me in a 12th and um, first year of college. Mm. And he tested um, like 12th, first year of college. And you he were how old? 16, like I was 13. Wow. That's so cool. I was 13. Shows you how much advanced yeah. schooling was over right. there. So because of that, I would have been in the 11th grade at 13. And my brother would have been in 11th grade because he was required to do two years. And my mother was like, I'm not putting my 13 and 16-year-old in the same class. And mm-hmm. So she had me um, do the 10th grade. Mm-hmm. So I was 13. I was, yeah, 13 in the 10th grade. Still young. And he was 16 in the 11th grade, which was kind of more on, on par. But just imagine being 13, being like literally living this fairy tale life. And then just being just dumped into the heart of Brooklyn in the crack era. Yeah. And so wow. from the moment I've gotten, I was in Brooklyn. And I was I was skinny. I was short. Um, I was short, skinny. And then, you know, culturally, you know, complexion matters. I was light-skinned with curly right. hair. Yep. So that may be a target <laughs> in, in some ways. And so literally I started my first week back. I got into a fight on my block. And then every week after I was fighting nonstop, whether it was in school, whether it was in camp, whether it was in cell. Yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of aggressive, angry energy when I was growing up from the Brooklyn that I came back to. And so it was a lot, a lot, a lot going on. It was tough. It was tough. You it know? was tough. And it went from fights to, you know, razors and knives to guns you know the progression over the years mm-hmm. you know most of the time it just your biggest fear was getting into a fight or getting jumped by multiple people and then that fear became well someone having a razor and, mm-hmm. testing, and then it went from there to Somebody someone shooting you you know and i mean I've, I've lived through all of the iterations of it i've been i've experienced all of them in all the different ways you know you shouldn't have as a child yeah. and yeah so i survived it and i'm here but Brooklyn was tough. Um, school was tough. And my family, at the time, family in the 80s and 90s, we really didn't have, they didn't have skill sets on how to deal with, uh, you know, children going through challenges. Right. And so if you were messing up in school or cutting school, it was just like, you're being bad. You're not yeah. following the rules. Mm-hmm. You're doing this. It wasn't Had your like, parents made it back over here to live? My <coughs> mom was back. My dad stayed a few okay. years. 
Um, he stayed a few years, and then he came back later. What was your mom, like, when you tell mom, like, getting jumped and razors and gun? Like, what I didn't was tell her all of it. I got you. Yeah, I didn't go home and tell her. Like, I mean, there was the times where she came and she saw me beat to death, half to death, mm -hmm. and, like, you know, like, what happened, right. you know? Or literally find a gun in my closet in my mm -hmm. room and, like, why the hell you got a gun in the house? And it's like... And she's mad at me, yeah. and I'm like, Mama, you just, that's that's probably what made me be able to get home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, had I not had that, yeah. you know, you may, it might be a different story. But yeah, life, life was, life was interesting. Um, there was a, there was, there was, there was some good parts, but honestly, the, the thing, I, it was so many different things for me that I, I didn't, going back to Brooklyn, I didn't really kind of leave it with a, with a great, opinion of the space mm -hmm. when I left. So once I once I was able to get out of there, I, I never went back. I never went back to live. Where'd you take off to after Brooklyn? So I <laughs> I had an option. I had an option to go to three different places and one of them was college. Uh -huh. I'm not gonna tell you what the other two were, but <laughs> I, I was given a directive and I had to leave Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And one of the options that I was granted was college. And so I went to Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm. Literally, sight unseen. My parents, it's not like we did a school right. visit. It was literally like, you know, my dad made a call. He called a friend of his. His friend did um, um, tours for historically black colleges, and he called somebody, and he's like, listen, we need this kid to get in your school right away. I, li I literally had like 30 days. Right. And I they made it happen in 30 Whoa. days. Yeah. yeah, so. So you got to Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh, North Carolina. After Africa, my... Brooklyn, <laughs> Raleigh, Raleigh. <North> Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> really slim. <laughs> yeah, nah, so so when I got to Raleigh, that's why I said it's like a small town. It's mm -hmm. like it reminded me of being in Liberia. I yeah. actually almost, you know, there weren't a whole lot of big buildings. Mm. You know, I was downtown. I went to Shore University, which was right next to a a, a project. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was in the what we've considered the hood. Right. <laughs> it really was, yeah. yeah. You know. Oh, not listen. I can tell you. Some, so the guns and razors followed me to college. Mm. You know. Oh, I know. Our Sunday schools. <laughs> it was at Shaw University, so it was very. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know, I'm not gonna sit here and just you know beat up on HBCUs and whatnot. But I guess I'm not doing anything. But Shaw in the '90s was different. Mm -hmm. It was tough. I mean, it, I, it was interesting. It wasn't like the. The fairy tale college experience that you're told you're gonna have, mm -hmm. right? You know, it, it was interesting. It was, it was, yeah. And then you graduated Shaw was. I didn't graduate. You didn't Shaw. graduate Shaw. Uh, I was at Shaw University for a summer, a, a year and a half. I transferred to NC State. Um, well, I was trying, attempted to That's, transfer to yeah. NC State, and I did. I actually was going to go try and um, be a walk-on for the football team. I didn't know that the requirements were so high. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I met with the coach, you know, we went out there. They, they like me. They like everything I do. They were like, you know, make sure you get your paperwork done so you can um, kind of, you know, um, apply or, or officially um, try out as a walk-on because they just let you come out to the camp, see if yeah. you can run the drills mm -hmm. and whatnot and that kind of stuff. And then, but I had like a 1.7 GPA from yeah. Shaw. Uh, I can relate. I did the I same thing. I didn't, I didn't even know that was possible. Because, right. you know, again, I grew up in a place where, you know, you had to have a B or up. And then I, after high school, I found out I had a, you could D could pass. So I stopped going to classes. I'll only be there for the midterm and the final. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And you know, I can relate, <laughs> relate wholeheartedly. Final, you know, so I, get to, so I get to college and um, – <laughs> I didn't understand the economics of college or to find the the 
they don't tell you anything. Nothing. You know, Nothing. Nobody no. teaches you like Not the, shit. the economy of life. Uh-huh. And the economy of life and uh, and the way that money works. The only thing you know is, you know, this is money, it pays for this, and that's not mm-hmm. true. You know, yeah. money is not that simple. But, you know, I had the student loans and mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I used to get excited because we'd be like, oh, make sure, you know, you get the max so you can get some of that cash. Yeah, get the refund checks. You can checks. use the refund yep. checks and you can do this, this, and this. And it's like, you know, yeah, that shit ain't free. Right. <laughs> it's going to cost you for the rest they, of your life. I mean, that's that's how it happened to me, too, though. Like, I, I did so bad one semester, it brought my shit down. And then I got it back up. And you had to have like a 2-0 or something to get your financial aid back. Yep. I had like a one point, I got back to like a 1.98 or 1.99. And I just thought that was a tell-all be-all. They don't tell you, hey, you can appeal it and then like write right. and say, hey, I tried this semester. I'm on the right path to get back to it. And then they'll like give it to you back. I didn't get told none of that shit. So I'm like, oh, I'm dropping out. Yeah. That was it. Like yeah. there was no education behind any of the – process or anything like that my parents don't come from a college background right, so yeah. we don't we don't know shit we just like oh didn't get that too oh well i guess i'm done with this shit and that was that yeah financial advisors in school that help you fill out the application yeah but they don't tell you no right. no <laughs> well i didn't understand that schools were um kind of economy drivers right. either. i didn't understand the the, the the economy of of academia mm-hmm. none of us really do um we still don't not at at that age especially Mm -hmm. i was but i didn't go to college because it was like my 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 path my that's what my my siblings did and you know my family expected it but when i went to college i was literally running from something Mm -hmm. and you know i had been given that option and that was the option that i had to take so it's not like i looked for schools figured out was thinking about what i was going to do Mm -hmm. when i got to college it was literally my, my parents drove me to the airport and was like here's some money here's your bags don't fuck it up. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I curse? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, you know, don't, like, don't, don't, don't mess up. Like, they didn't visit the school. Like, right. none of my family yeah. had seen the campus before. It was literally like, get on a plane and don't, 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 don't let this follow you there. Yeah. But unfortunately, it some did. of it did. Uh, because, again, in these schools, I'm sure it was one of those spaces that a lot of people who were in situations like me could go to. Uh-huh. <laughs> so a lot of the people that I connected with there were into some things other than school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so while in, while at Shaw, transfer, trying to transfer to state, had to have everything going, and then I got my transcripts, and that was like the shot. I was like, because that was me trying to really, okay, now I'm going to take this college thing serious. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play sports, get in, you know, get because I was always – I wasn't concerned about my intelligence level. I always felt competent there. I just had it, didn't have an interest in it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so once I started gaining the interest, then that's when, you know, the rug was pulled out. Like, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So you can't, you can't transfer yet. What you can do is take classes over the summer. And in that summer when I was trying about to kind of turn things around, something happened in my family and I wound up coming to Charlotte. So... While I was in Raleigh, my the brother closest to me had moved down there with another friend of ours that grew up with us in Liberia, and some other friends that they went to school with at Morgan State in in, in Maryland, but they were all from Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and they came down to Raleigh to do concerts. And so while I was in college, I was um, part of the street promotion team and part of the group that helped do a lot of concerts in Raleigh. Now, so. now explain for the listener what a, a, a street promotion team is. Okay, so... 
we would get flyers, have some tickets, and then we'll get promo CDs and like you know the the, the posters of the arts. Like if we were doing a show, the label would send us sample CDs and posters and things like that for the um you know promo items. So they'll send them to us, and we would go. We would have flyers. We'll take them to the school. We went to Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. NC State. You know, we went to Duke, which was interesting. Duke is Duke. <laughs> like that know, place was like, weird, bro. Listen, like I, that was the first time I went on a campus. It felt like I just didn't belong. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've trust me. been there, yeah. done that. I asked a dude for directions there one time, and I thought I was talking to like some dude at NASA, like some other shit. It was yeah. So I was like, you know, and I'm trust me, I've been to like I said some even as a kid. I've 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 eaten with presidents and right. whatnot, but and it just felt weird being they their daughters. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so we would get the we would get the promo packages, and then we would we literally, I mean, we would just go through the dorms, knock on doors, put yeah. flyers under the under the doors, and if you you know if girls come out of the dorm, be like, hey, if you can, if you can sing or do something, you know, we'll give you tickets to the show, mm-hmm. and then we would generally go on a um, on a college radio stations because again, you didn't have to pay for that, right? Yeah. You know, all colleges wanted content for their mm-hmm. radio stations, right. and if you had a show and you can give some tickets to their students, oh my god, yeah, come. So we would go to all the schools and do the. The school radio stations, we would find out, you know, who was the popular students at the school, try and get in touch with them and give them tickets and tell them, you know, give them flies. If you get your friends to pass these out, you know, we'll give you this, this, and this, you know. So that that was – and then we would go around to all the clubs as well and go to the clubs with flyer bags of flyers and whatnot and pass them out. And, you know, before – it wasn't really doing cars back then mm-hmm. as much. It was more hand-to-hand. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 It was right. more giving it to a person. Yeah, like and, more you know, face-to-face interaction. More face-to-face mm-hmm. talking, yeah. you know. So you spend a lot of time. But it was more effective because, you know, it, it became more detached later when people started using kind of street teams, yeah. like paid street teams. It became very detached. So, yeah, I started out. But I had, I had done that in Brooklyn with my older brother. He used to do um, – Now, hold up, hold up, hold up. So you guys were kind of like in an all-in budget deal – and were very hand to hand, and then you're saying when the when the street team came along that was prepaid, they were just doing it to get it done in a way. Yeah, so we were part of the promotion. We were part of promotion team. We were part. Of, we were producing the shows or so, yeah, promoting so the shows. Like so like it was there was vested and, interest right. in mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. So the so the effort was a lot more personal. Of course, yeah. Yeah. it became a thing where like I'm just gonna pay him. You yeah, know. If you pay like some some young kids to go pass yeah, out they flyers, just, they they don't care. Throw yeah, half okay, of them yeah. in the trash. Yeah. Right, right, right. They'll throw some in on cars, and they won't even like touch. Probably yeah. less than ten percent would get in people's hands, but. Prior to that, in Brooklyn, back in the early '90s, um, my brothers and I—well, uh, my oldest, my older—I have five brothers. So, um, the one that's one above the one closest to me, he used to throw um, two parties in Midtown Manhattan, Brooklyn, and uh, he had a—he used to do comedy shows. He used to do comedy shows with Kevin Hart and guys like that <laughs> yeah. back when they were still coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so long before who they are now, right? But um. We used to promote, I used to help him go to um, go to Warehouse District in, in Lower Manhattan. They had these flyer print shops there. Yeah. Like everybody had the big flyer print shops. You'd go to the flyer print shop, they give you the boxes. Mm-hmm. You go to the boxes and you literally go to the different neighborhoods in New York passing out flyers. We do my you know, I used to throw parties and <laughs> I'll tell you a high school story after this, but <laughs> pretty much. So so that's what I was doing in Raleigh when I wasn't kind of focused on school. Mm-hmm. But I would use 
the fact that I was in school to get into the student unions and all of, you know, get to the yeah. 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 student ID. Yeah. Yeah. So I wind up kind of finagling my way into an ID for state, and then I had a dorm room at State Anshaw. <laughs> Um, so God dang. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I did. I, I had a. I played intramurals at App State, and never went to App State. So it's just you know, yeah. college. Right. You can. It's it's crazy how open and free you can be in college, and you can get a lot away with a lot of shit. Lot. People can put on. I know there's my friends got basically like screwed over in a way by this dude that acted like he was a student, had a fake accent, all kinds of shit. Act like he was like. Going to all these classes, doing all this, it was just some Joe from off the street that nobody <laughs> yeah. even knew who yeah. it was. And he was living the college life as like a 28-year-old man, acting yeah. like he was like 22. Like, it was crazy. So there was a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of those dudes would have par- apartments and houses that they were renting. They would have parties and they would get all the young college kids there and, you know, yeah. the college kids. Like, I saw a lot of kind of, unfo- you know, unfortunate things happen as I was kind of in my college experience. That kind of rivaled the street stuff. Yep. You know, honestly, the street stuff was very simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, simple rules, simple tenements, simple controls, right? College was different. Yeah. College was different because mm-hmm. it was a lot of what you're talking about, people presenting mm-hmm. as one way, but they were completely different. And they were just literally kind of um, um, kind of just targeting the college students. And there was no structure on college campus to protect you nope. in any way. And if you did claim something happened to you, the school would be your adversary. They would be the ones that would be like, uh, well, what did you do and why? And mm-hmm. if you do this, here's what you're going to have to kind of, we're going to have to kind of um, expel you from the school. You know, you're not going to be able to stay, uh, continue to go. And it's like, so literally if some, somebody gets assaulted or victimized, mm-hmm. they were afraid to kind of say anything yep. about it because the school would be the first <coughs> to say, yeah, if you make, if you go public with this, some Duke you know, cross shit. This is what's going to happen to you. So, mm-hmm. not saying it didn't happen to you, but, you know, so. That reminds me of Noriega's speech at the beginning of Rap Superstar, where he talks about the rap game and the dope game. And he says, if you get robbed in the dope game, you can just shoot him and kill him. But in the rap game, you got to, it's like a different. It, 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 <laughs> it, it became way more strategic uh-huh. and kind of manipulative in the college space. And I'm talking about from deans, mm-hmm. RAs, you know, professors, yeah. like, yeah, people were, it, it, it was, it's a predatory culture. Mm-hmm. It's an extremely predatory culture. And yeah, so college was, college was interesting for me. But so went from, you know, tried, you know, was doing my thing in Raleigh with the parties and shows and stuff. And then something happened. So my brothers that were there at the time had to leave. And then I came to Charlotte uh, because I had my my oldest brother was here at the time. He was living here, and he had relocated from Brooklyn down here. And I would come visit him and hang out with him. But um, then he had to leave, and so I wound up uh, moving into his house. Um, and that's how I ca- that's how I found myself in Charlotte. And so my path in Charlotte, because again, all the parties I threw in high school and mm-hmm. college, and even before that, my family. All the all the social activities we did in West Africa and even in Brooklyn, the black parties. Like literally, I was born into parties uh-huh. and 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 cultural and live performance events. Yeah. You know, professional so, party. So yeah. all the, so I didn't. That wasn't my plan for life. I went to school to try and be an architect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't actually. I didn't know. Sure, I didn't have an architecture program. I just went because they accepted me, mm-hmm. and then that's why I was transferring to NC State mm-hmm. because of the architecture program. Um, 
So in college, doing the promotions with my brothers and whatnot, and then things changed, and they had to go and leave, and then I came to Charlotte. And in Charlotte for years, I didn't do anything on a party scene. I was literally just trying to figure out life and make it and not have to go into a lifestyle that would put me at risk because I had known most of the people that I knew in Char- that came to Charlotte from Brooklyn at the time had come down to, you know, be um, street entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And a few of them died and a few of them went to jail. So most of the people that I knew in the early 90s that came to Charlotte aren't around anymore. And so I was always fortunate because I always had a job and I always had, I was always registered for school somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if you understand anything about kind of the drug war of the nineties, they got so overwhelmed that they were trying to find reasons not to really, the police wanted to kind of arrest people, but the courts, once you got to the courts, the courts were trying to like, we can't do anything else unless it's not, unless it's major, we can't do anything with it. So for me, I, what I learned was have a college ID and have a job. And you can get caught with a damn suitcase full of drugs. <laughs> but That's if wild. you can get in front of a judge and say, I'm in college, I'm a student, I don't have any felonies, and I have a job, and this was just something that I had to do. And they're like, okay, we'll put this on deferred charges and if you get caught again in the next (laughs) so i was fortunate in my life that i always even though that wasn't my primary thing sometimes i would just help people out but every now and then i was just around certain people that would put me in different um, spaces so that's that saved me a few times and then um so i just became a regular working dude in charlotte i worked at pizza hut i worked at blimpy's i worked at bp gas station I sold windows, Southeast window, man. I sold knives from door to door. I sold bootleg perfume. (laughs) Do you remember the the, the door-to-door knife, man? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, Yeah. that was like a thing. I did that. Trawling salesman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I did that. Yeah. Yeah, The Gensus. Man, I didn't have (laughs) another version. But by the time, you know, imagine in the mid-90s telling somebody, oh, these knives are $200. They'll slam that door in your face. Hey, I don't even pay $200 for my car. (laughs) So, yeah, so I did that for a long time and then um, hustled my way back uh, into what I thought was a high-paying job at the time was a kitchen job. Because I used to wait tables. I waited tables at Harper's. um, Yeah. Oh yeah, uh huh. I used to wait. I, well, I waited tables at Pizza Hut before that, and I kind of lied to them and got a job in Harper's. Told them I was a you know, had <laughs> great experience. Um, so I did the service industry stuff from like bottom level stuff. Like I'm not. I didn't like. I didn't come into no posh clubs or right, restaurants right, yeah. or high end. I was literally like Pizza Hut, Blimpy, <laughs> you yeah. know that kind of stuff, right? And so Harper's was the first kind of like you know, mid to fine fine dining space. Not fine dining, but you know, yeah. level of uh-huh. dining space that I went to, and I started out there as a server manager. Kind of had an issue with me, you know. The only black guy on the crew somehow right. had, oh, she had the issue with everything I did, mm-hmm. you know. So they wound up the she wanted to fire me, but the GM was like, "Nah, I like him." So here's what I'm gonna do: since she's the front of house manager, make you the back. You can you can work back hours, yeah. and I became the um, pizza guy at, Har- at uh, Harper's. Harper's. Yeah, yeah the, the wood fire pizza. Uh-huh. The one right in South Park. I used to be. I used to have kids come in the window and watch me make pizza. It felt like a damn animal, <laughs> but it was. Funny. It's wild. Yeah, so, so did that for a while. Um, then went to Manzetti's. 
from Manzetti's, um, one of the servers there, her husband, and she was starting a new restaurant, and they needed um, kitchen kitchen uh, kitchen manager and kitchen supervisor. So initially they told me it was going to hire me as kitchen manager. Then they just made me a kitchen supervisor, but that was Boardwalk Billy. So I opened up Boardwalk Billy's in university. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, and then we, they started branching out, so I would go to other locations and train people. Um, and while I was doing that, I went back to school. I got back into CPCC. And so I just started taking courses to see if you get back into the architecture program because they had something called a 2 plus 2. So um, 2 plus 2 is you go to CP and then you go to UNCC. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I went to CP and then transferred to UNCC. Um, and in that process, I got hired as a project manager at um, Lee Nichols Architecture. Well, no, I got hired as an architectural intern uh-huh. while I was in school. And in that first year and a half I was there, they promoted me to project manager. Um, so, um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've designed and managed architectural projects all across the state. Um, so, like, help, I've, I closed that, like, you, a bunch of, we had a bunch of UNC projects. Mm-hmm. So, UNC Pembroke, um, um, ECU, um, Western Carolina, um, Chapel Hill. I I, clo- I did the closeout documents for the um, Health Affairs parking deck. It's one of the biggest parking decks at the university. <laughs> so if you go to the hospital at UNC, yeah. mm-hmm. everybody knows. If you've ever yeah. been there, you yeah. know that parking yeah. deck. So yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> I did the final closeout for that. Project. And you also know Boardwalk Billy <laughs> in the university. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jewish Community Center here in Charlotte, mm-hmm. Providence. I did um, the early design for their um, for their outdoor space, the spray ground and stuff. And that, that when they expanded. Because they just had a pool for a while. Yeah. And then we designed this whole Now they got a super pool. Yeah. So the super pool with all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the projects that I that I managed, that I was a Now getting to do this stuff, did you finish Did you finish the, the two at UNC I Charlotte? I finished two. I didn't finish the other two. I got you. <laughs> so I have an architecture and technology degree. Yeah. Um, so, and while I was there at the firm, I got my general contracting license. And so I created my own design build firm. So I would do um, design projects. One of the projects was the Coffee Cup restaurant. Uh, it was a historic restaurant here in Charlotte that used to be off of Moorhead by the stadium. Um, it had been around for, it was one of the first restaurants that um, that would um, allow black people to kind of come into the building from the back. So, and then it was, um, it was owned by some young black guys at the time. And they found out that I was in the architecture um, space because they were looking for somebody to do some plans for them. So at the time, you know, if you had a small project, you didn't need a seal. You didn't need to get an architectural seal for a project under, I think, like 2,500 square feet or under Mm -hmm. $50,000 or something like that. So I wound up kind of taking on a lot of little side projects for small builders and contractors. I would design these spaces for them and seal them. So I I came to know... um, Mr. Benjawi, yeah, um, who owned Bonaco, uh-huh. um, and I and his office was second floor Ivy's building, yeah, and they were um, putting different tenants in that second floor level, so they had a tailor shop there, a barber shop. <laughs> We've had VJ on here, and yeah. he's told the whole story. <laughs> yeah, so VJ, so VJ was in the office, but V, so you know, again, cultural uh-huh. differences. Like VJ was there with his dad, but he wasn't a lot, you know, right. his dad was, was the kinda, boss. Yeah. Was the yeah. boss and VJ really didn't speak about a lot related to the building mm-hmm. stuff. He had other projects. VJ was trying to get me to put 
ATMs and shit in buildings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, so I did a lot of the plans for that second floor. Yeah. In there. Um, and when they was kind of, because at one point when I was trying to expand the space, we wound up having to design a stairway from the second floor down. So if you know where the Qdoba is, we're on the corner, uh-huh. there's another space on this side and there's a stairway. Yeah. That was one of the projects that I did. Um, I actually had the guy that worked under me do the plans for it. His name is Brian, um, you know, do the plans for it. But yeah, we would. <laughs> so a lot of projects like that. In that process, the guys that owned the coffee cup, they had a real estate firm. And in our normal communication, they asked me what, um, you know, just I used to tell them what I used to do in college with promoting the parties and shows and the stuff I used to do in Brooklyn. And I think I told them one time, like, yeah, one day I'll probably buy, get a club. Yeah. So. Because I used to do the architectural plans for them, he, he and he had a real estate company. He had a lot of access to the MLS and whatnot, mm-hmm. and would just get things. And he called me one day. I was like, "Hey, you remember you said you wanted to own a club?" I was like, uh, "Sure, I think so." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, he's like, there's one available. Would you 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 think you want to look at?" I was like, mm, "Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out." I didn't have a lot of money at the time. I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about what it would take. I had known, I knew how to promote parties, mm-hmm. or promote a show. I didn't know anything about owning and operating a venue. Yeah. Um, and I had never run a brick and mortar business before. My business was out of my home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my contracting right. um, and design business, I did out of my home. I would do it from the architecture firm late night, like after hours. I would be in the firm, you know, using their plotters right, and whatnot right. and their software. But you know, I didn't have a, so he called, he was like, listen, this building's available. And I was like, he told me about the space. Well, in my years in Charlotte, I had hung out at different places, staying alive, eight tracks, you know, vintage on a boulevard, you know, um, can't think of all of them, but a lot of them. Baja, some of them, you know, um, the, the building was on Wilkinson Boulevard. And I remember, cause one, the last time I went to the building, I think the last time it was open, my brother, my oldest brother and I was there hanging out and there was a shootout in the parking lot and a guy got killed while we were there Jeez. in that building. Mm-hmm. I mean, in front of the building, right? So when he told me where it was, I was like, uh, <laughs> you sure? <laughs> so, you know, he, um, he was like, yeah, I was like, um, okay, you know what? He said, yeah, if you're interested, I'll partner with you to do it. You know, so I'm like, okay, well, if I have a partner, then, you know, okay, then it's not just me trying mm-hmm. to figure it out. So I did. Um, we went and looked at the space. It was big. It's 9,000 square feet. And we went to the, he's like, I was like, okay, what, how much do they want for it? He's like, the guy wants a $25,000 deposit and like $12,000 a month. And this was in 2000 and 2005. Well, I didn't have either. <laughs> um, I couldn't afford them. Right, right. Didn't know right. how I could afford them. And I was like, man, I was like, yeah, no. But I also knew that the people that were opening clubs weren't professionals. Mm-hmm. They were generally like, you know, just yeah, guys want, want to play, play mm-hmm. nightclub yeah. Yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, street promoters and whatnot. So I was like, all right, this is, this is what we're going to do. Guys had to build them for a while. There's been several clubs over the time. I said, you know, let's set up a meeting and, like, just talk to him. And we get there, and it's this old white guy, I mean, just 
true, true, true Southern accent, mm-hmm. heavy Southern accent. Like, yeah, I want yeah. my building. You're going to have to pay me for it. <laughs> you know, like, all that shit. Like, you know, and I'm like, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, well, you know, I was like, all right, so. I was like, this, let me just put something out here for you. You know, I'm project manager, architecture firm, general contractor, got my own design firm. I'm a professional. Anthony, realtor, owns a restaurant, successful in business, been in Charlotte, um, been very successful in the city for a long time. I said, I've known of this building. I've known the history of it. I can tell you the different iterations. I said, you can keep getting these deposits and then turning over tenants every year or two. Or you can lease it to us at a more uh, reasonable rate and have one tenant that will take care of your building and that you can rely on for years to come. And so he was like, yeah, but that's not going to help me money-wise. I said, neither is sitting on an empty building (laughs) or if getting another tenant in here and somebody else gets shot, you can no longer use this as a nightclub. Mm -hmm. I said, so it's not like you have a ton of options as far as people that will run this space. Well, yeah, I don't know about all that, but... So how much do you want to pay? I said, I'm not paying 12000 Anthony's like, Ugh. I said, listen, I'm not giving you 25000 but I will give you $8,000 a month. He's like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. I was like, well, you, know, you got to realize we got to reapply for this liquor license, which we might not, we may not get anyway right. yeah. because mm-hmm. of everything that's mm-hmm. taking place. Right, you know, right. the, build, the original owner, um, Randy, I think his name was Randy Henson, um, he was – he was one of the first people I heard of was designated as a nuisance by Mecklenburg County ABC. So he can no longer get an ABC license in Mecklenburg County because he used to own a bunch of different clubs all over the place. Um, but they all had, you Issue. know, mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. So, so I told him, I was like, you know, you get one more person in here, your building is worthless to you because then only thing, nobody can use it as a club. I right. said, so if we come in, this is our plan. This is how we're running. We'll do that. And he, he turned it down and we left. And then I guess a couple of days later, he called Anthony. He's like, well, what if y'all give me this? You know, Anthony was like, so he called me. He's like, hey, man. He's like, he came back. He came back lower. He said, maybe we, if we gave him $10,000, you know, he would do it. I said, tell him no. And he was like, you sure? I'm like, yeah. I said, tell him no. I said, why? He said, you, said, you don't think we can do it? I said, I don't, I don't doubt that I can do it. But I told him what my number was. Yeah. Said, mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not negotiating with him for a building he can't occupy anyway. Right, right. So he took that for a couple of days and then came back. Oh, he called me and said, "Hey, they want to meet with us again." I'm like, what the hell do you want to meet for? We already met. It's either yes or no. So we met. Then he invited, he invited us to his house. He is there. His wife was there. She, uh, I mean, just heavy, heavy, heavy country accent. Well, I talked to William and I told him, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah, just like he said, that. You know, you guys are, you know, he should go with somebody like you because everybody else has caused this problem. He's mm-hmm. gonna have problems there if he doesn't work with somebody like you guys. And I was like, well, I appreciate that, but I still can't come to the number that he wants. I said, what we can do is, you know, start the business if it goes well. We can kind of renegotiate. He's like, all right, fine. I try it with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Warmed him. And that's how I got the first club. My first club was 9,300 square feet, $8,000 a month. And I didn't have any idea how or what I was doing. We painted that shit ourselves. 
I've hired contract because I had because of the GC work that I had done and I had done like the House of Jazz and a couple of other clubs around the city, or yeah, a couple of bars that I did designs for around the city. Um, I had uh, the the subcontractors that I needed. I knew how to get around the building, um, you know, because of my um, yeah. architectural background. I knew the building codes. I knew the building department. I knew what I needed to do to get the fire approval, zoning approval, and all that other stuff. So yeah, I had one of the biggest buildings without a fire, um, without a um, a sprinkler system with occupant um, the occupancy because the spray this the law was I think you go over one ninety nine you had to have a sprinkler system. Yeah, I was one of the biggest venues without one. I had a seven I have a seven fifty five occupancy and didn't have a sprinkler system. Wow. Yeah, because again it's like um, I think. You said people didn't know what to ask for. Like you're just talking mm-hmm. about your student loans. Mm-hmm. Like if you had one set, one point set, one below two point oh, you just thought it was right. Done. Yeah. Well, most people when they when they're told about a building, a fire department, or whatnot, based on occupancy, they'll be like, yeah, no. There's exceptions to all the rules and building codes and fire codes, and mm-hmm. I, and I fought all of them based from from a, a, an educated perspective. And so the way I got it was I got the building. Itself at four ninety nine, and I got the patio at two ninety nine, mm. <laughs> and they had never they had never been approached that way right. about the um, about the space before. They were like, Shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn, <I> think <laughs> and so once it was done for years, they tried to kind of revoke it, but they couldn't so long as I was in business. Mm-hmm. And so I think you still hear tales of that with the fucking sprinkler shit. People talk about that. They another building that I have, Moorhead Tavern. I didn't have a sprinkler, but I was grandfathered in. But mm-hmm. that, that's another mm-hmm. that's another story. We're gonna there. have to have a part two. Yeah, like right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got into the nightclub business in Charlotte, and um, it was a it was a it was a long walk. It wasn't an easy walk. Um, but what saved me was the CIAA coming to the city. CIAA came to the city of Charlotte. Um, and I, because I went to show, I was in the city. My dad went to Virginia. Um, what Virginia, year? Virginia. What year did they come here? Two thousand and six. Two thousand six was yes. the first CI. And what was your club called? Tempo. Okay. No yeah. shit. That was the one. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. 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 That was but it. But where? Where on Wilkinson? It's not, right next to Coyote Joe's. Fucking legendary. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> is it the one in the corner right there? It's the big white building. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. You probably didn't live in it, but Club Tempo. Uh, no. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> yeah, I just I, frequent Joe's, so that's why I know. So exactly yeah, we're right there. So and that's how I got. You know, that's how I came to know the Presleys and uh-huh. Larry Presley, who owned Moorhead um, Tavern. And they they had that for he he well he he literally just sold the building several weeks ago, but um he had that building since 1964 I believe, and it was just the downstairs portion and he kind of bought the rest of the building over the years and then built the patio on the back, but um he was my neighbor my next door neighbor and the way I got to know them was we had a lot of car break ins, and because like, they didn't like anybody one, you know it's a country bar mm-hmm. you got. A young hip hop club on a hill. It's not merge. But you know, I, I had my, I have a world view of life. You know, a lot of people have their, their, their immediate cultural view mm-hmm. based on their their environment. But I lived in different part. Had experienced different um, people and different ways of approaching things, and just realized, you know, I don't care what your opinion is of me. Is I'm going to be who I'm going to be, and if there's value to it, you'll recognize it or not. 
And so that's how I got the building from William. Cause at first, you know, his, nah, I'm not doing this. You got to pay me this way. And I didn't take offense to mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah, you can be who you are, but this yeah. is who I'm going to be. And ultimately who I am is where is how we got into the building. Same thing with Cody Joe's where really wasn't, they kind of had a bad attitude about anybody up on the hill is what they would call it because of all the years, all the different shootings and all the things mm-hmm. that all the crime that would happen up on the hill, you know, kind of impacted them. Um, but, you know, once I got there, they, they, they quickly came to respect who I am and how I run the business and how my partners at the time, how we, how we did it collectively. And I got to know them personally because, you know, we would, I would work with their team to kind of eliminate crime in the area. Mm-hmm. So if we had, like, vagrants walking through the neighborhood um, between the clubs and whatnot, I would call their um, head of security and be like, hey, my guys are watching this person from this point to this point. You should watch them from this point to that point. Or if there's a car, because a lot of car break-ins was big at the time, and I'm sure it still is now, but back then, I mean, they would literally bust like 20 car windows in the road. Yeah, that was – I mean, they're, uh, they're all right the, there, too. And that like, was the Honda Accord and the those parts. They were – it was crazy then. I remember it. They would – I mean, we would come out. Man, we have a great night, 900 people in the building just – crushed it and come outside and like 50 people outside like cars, windows got busted and whatnot and so for a while i would kind of you know i would i would kind of give everybody like 100 bucks like you know towards the window whatever but after a while i'm like i ain't doing that shit it's just it just doesn't make sense so i said we need to do a better job securing but it even wasn't it wasn't our property yeah Mm -hmm. so we had to communicate with the other property owners and be like you know we're not telling people to park it. You can block off your lot if you want, but what we can do is secure your lot and clean it up for you. And some of them agreed to do that for a while. So the same thing with guys at Coyote Joe's, when we had someone riding through the lot that wasn't coming to the club and they just looked kind of suspicious, I would call their manager and be like, listen, we got a car, this is the car, look out for it in your lot. We think they are trying to break in. So they got, you know, they got more comfortable with us and kind of, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, became, Good friends, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so that friendship led me led to me um, getting more yeah. in tavern. Yep. Now, do you still do the architectural designs stuff now, or is it all? Are you just Moorhead Tavern and <laughs> no, no, other entrepreneur? And I mean, so yes and no. Uh huh. Um, and projects that I'm associated with, I do the preliminary design. Right. And so if it's a quick, and there's a cheat code now, and it's these online um, CAD, pro, CAD, um, mm-hmm. CAD um, rooms where I can sketch something, take a picture of it, email it out. People will bid on a job, and they'll be in Pakistan, gotcha. mm-hmm. Egypt, China, South Africa, and they'll be bidding from all over the world. Whereas, you know, before I used to actually do draft, um, do the CAD um, program um, design, I just sketch it out now. And I send it, a, send it, post it online, and people bid on it. And I can get a plan for a building done back in a, in a couple of hours for like 50 bucks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's so true. Though. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's, I do that for early um, design stuff. So I don't really kind of do a lot of, I don't do a lot in the design space, but I have a lot of friends that call me and ask me about advice when they're trying to open a space or a business or anything or trying to get something done at their house or build a house. You know, so I help out with the, um, with the, um, it's the, uh, uh I'm forgetting right now, but it's the pro, it's pretty much the pre-planning phase. Mm-hmm. It's just the design concept phase. Sometimes I do a little feasi- a quick feasibility study with them, like you know, is it possible? 
Like, can you possibly, is it physically possible to right. do what mm. you're saying? Is it finance? Are you financially able to do it? Is it legal for you to do it? And does it fulfill the purpose of why you're trying to do it? So I help people with that kind of preliminary planning phase of some design projects, but I don't do it. It's a consultant process that I do very selectively. Mm-hmm. But so the answer is yes, yeah. but not. Right, not, not full time or regularly. It's yeah, as needed. And but you've got to the place to where you can do it just like that. Yeah, I'm I'm in a very fortunate yeah. space in life. So most of my work is at will. Mm-hmm. Shout out to that. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where we all like to be. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so now, because uh, uh, I think we got to wrap up at one, right? Uh, one. I don't know. We'll just. What time it. you got to be out of here? Um. I mean, I, I I gotta be somewhere at one thirty. All right, let's do the, let's do the this or that because I know we're gonna talk about some of them. All right, so we do a thing on here called this or that, and you gotta pick one of the options, the choices that we give you. So I just I no, I just got a text. So one thirty is flexible if necessary. Okay. Yeah, I was meeting one of my contractors at a building. I'm getting an AC unit replaced. So. Oh okay. Uh. All right, well, since we, so we, got we, we got here, we're here until one fifteen. We got it? I think so, yeah. All right, we'll do this or that's at 1 o'clock. So, all right, can touch on some CIAAs for yeah. us. So, 2006, 2006 CIAA. 2006 CIAA. I'm, you know, we, we, we struggled because we opened in July two, uh, 2005. Struggle, uh-huh. struggle, 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 struggle. Um, it was tough, tough. It was, but, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, fighting bar, you know, bar from here to, to, to pay here, you know, stealing where we can, hiding where we can, you know, doing whatever. Sometime I had to DJ. Sometime I had to dance with women. <laughs> I mean, you know, we yeah. have a club full of women, and yeah. you know, I come from my 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 age demographic. We dance <laughs> together, right. so yeah. you know, we would literally tell security, "Hey, y'all gonna have to dance tonight." Like, yeah. you know, like it's all, it's all girls. It, you gotta get it's all them. listen, all women. It's like ninety percent women, and they look good. They well, they want to be out, and they can't do anything. So we would dance. I mean, I was door security, I bartend, like everything. Everything in my business is I can do every position in my businesses I was able to do. And so we struggled through. We 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 did a lot of robbing Peter to pay Paul and you know it was coming along but then CIAA coming along. And <laughs> I again I experienced CIAA in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. I experienced it in Winston Salem. Like I and then I I just knew the culture of it, right? My dad went to CIAA school when he was in college, you know, so very familiar with the culture. So when CIAA came, the first year it came, um, people were confused about the not, the party or the social aspect of it. But I was very well versed on that. They just knew like the basketball. They knew portion. basketball and they knew some parties. Right. right? Because in Raleigh there'll be a party yeah. downtown or whatever. It wasn't it, it it wasn't as spread out and as big. Mm-hmm. But when it came to Charlotte, I was like, wow, because I already had a nightclub that had a little bit of uh, tenure at the time, you know, we had made it past the first six months. Went into the winter and kind of, and so we get into um, CIAA comes and, you know, I did something that no other club owner had been doing or thinking of. So in Raleigh, there used to be these day parties that I used to go to. Well, one of them was in Durham. It was, uh-huh. at, a, it was at an armory or something like a big gym in Durham. And then there was another one at a club called Black Tie. And, they, and at, these were older folks. I'm yep. talking like 
50. Uh-huh. Average age is 40 and 50. Mm-hmm. But it would be a line of 400 people outside this club trying to get in. And they could only hold like 800. During the day. During the day. I'm talking about 12 o'clock in the right. afternoon. Mm-hmm. So everybody went after these kind of night parties and big promotions. I didn't do any of that. I partnered with the the groups that did those day parties mm-hmm. and had an established base with for like they were like twenty five year history of having these parties. So those guys came to me. Um, <laughs> well, I made some contacts and we got in touch, and it was like, yeah, we'll love to do our events here, but this is what we want. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I said it has to make sense for me, mm-hmm. and so. Basically, they was like, all right, we turn it up. Because they used to do some parties where they actually had to handle the liquor and everything. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, I have a liquor license. This is an established venue. Right. I'm going to make your life easy. You don't even have to be at the door to take money unless you want to be. But you guys just pro- promote the party to your audience. And then, you know, I'll handle all the logistics, all the heavy lifting. I'll do all the the marketing promotion, and I didn't even really have to do that. But I, all the staffing, all the image, like everything is covered in house. You guys just, and then once we do the event, we'll sit down and kind of audit the expenses and then do a split. It was like great. First year, Thursday night party had like two, like three, three, four hundred people. Then we did the Friday day party. And had about 900 people. <laughs> we got our asses handed to us in a major way. Is that the most people at that point that had ever been in the club? Well, since I owned it. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. It, was, it, it was absolutely. Right. And then Friday <laughs> night, we had uh, some young, oh, my God, it was trash. It was horrible. We had a, I had another guy that um, booked the club to promote. I think we had, like, Pastor Troy or something. <laughs> yeah. And Did they bring is, the bell? Oh, nah, listen. Yeah, I met him one we night. He didn't make it in the club. <laughs> oh. Something happened, a promoter, whatever, but it wound up being a fucking a standoff in the parking lot with me and my security lined up. And Pastor Troy and his boys lined up at their car. It was like, you know, it was a Western showdown. Yeah. Like, listen, I just got to leave. It was like, we're not leaving until we get our money. I was like, we're not the promoters, we just the venue owners, but. Whatever gonna happen, gonna happen. But you ain't gonna do. You ain't. You aren't going to do anything to anybody on this property. Gotcha. So the promoter so was, was able the, to get. It was them. between the promoter and Pastor Troy. It was correct between the promoter and his team. I, I mean, I don't. But damn. But this, yeah, two thousand. Ain't gonna do yeah. nothing yeah. on this property. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I grew up in a war zone. Yeah. I know what it's like. Yeah. I grew up in two war zones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One in I'm West Africa and one in Brooklyn. One in I'm Brooklyn. afraid of you, vice president. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, so, yeah, that was that was that was that was my first standoff at yeah. the club. I, I had many since. I had many. I had many people threatened, but you know, by the grace of the creator, you know. I never had any shootings on that property right. to this Damn, day. That's a big <laughs> deal. To this day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never had one. Um, so we did. Um, so Friday didn't go well. And, you know, we were beat up because we had, my staff yeah. had never worked that kind of schedule the before the, the day to night. And so then, so some people literally slept on, a, on in, in the club on some of the couches. And then Saturday morning came around and we like, we're struggling. We get, you know, we tried to order some more liquor and whatnot. And the guy that old guy that threw the party, he had to be like 60, 60 something at the time. 
Calvin Gilliam, one of my best friends to this day. He's like a father figure, you know. But um, he's in uh, he's from Virginia. Um, they are the um, Hopewell Group. Uh-huh. Does and, he say water? Water and quarter? quarter. Probably. <laughs> Liquor drink? Yeah, I know he still can't pronounce my name right after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I go by Jay. <laughs> but he was he came in and it's him and his whole I mean they're all elderly and old, but they're like, hey, you know, he came in, he's like, He's all the bartenders you got? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, we, we should be able to. He's like, I said, we got a few more outside. He said, oh, no. He said, you're going to need some help. He was like, I we, we drink. I was like, uh, I think. And I looked at my brother. My brother was like, I don't know. We'll see what we can do. And I don't even know how to explain this. <laughs> We, he was, and he wanted to open the doors early. He's like, yeah, they, they, they starting to line up. And I was like, I was inside trying to, we, we, we're tired. We're struggling. Mm-hmm. trying to get everything together. And he's like, no, he's like, no, it's not time to get it together. It's time to open. <laughs> I'm like, man, you don't come in my club telling me what to do. He's like, he was like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, young man, you better listen mm-hmm. to me. I need to get all the help you can. Yeah. So I start calling around, like, just to see anybody. So even my business partner at the time, Anthony McCarver, his friends, he, he you know, his his fraternity brothers, like, call anybody, like, call them in because this dude's telling And when I tell you, he, that man was not wrong. We maxed, I mean, at least 1,500 people. Wow. Jesus. And it was in insane insane oh my goodness they came in and i mean from the moment we opened the door they just flooded the bar mm-hmm. and would not stop ordering liquor and we didn't we it was nothing else we could do we just poured out everything every pot i mean and they yeah. went from the from the from the top shelf to the call to the well to anything you had in the yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like let's just get it in these old, like I say old school, but like these old CIAA day party groups, they came and they drank and danced the whole time. The it whole wasn't like time. the stand around bottle flex party. No, it was like six o'clock. We literally are trying to push them out. Yeah. We like, listen, we have a party that starts at nine. We need time to sit down and, and relax yeah. and, and mm-hmm. go. And so I, so, so. The day party thing, there was only like one other day party. I think two other day parties that competed with that. One was called the Circle of Friends, and they did that at Extravaganza Depot. And Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if Legend of Troy did it the first year or not, but Legend of Troy had another day party that was kind of comparable. But then from there, I I kept the same group um, doing the day parties at um, Tempo. And it just got bigger and bigger. I mean, we would just max. I mean, our counters. We want we get up to like eighteen hundred, twenty four hundred people in the in the cycle, because you know people will come in and rotate out, mm-hmm. they get hot and rotate out. And so, but you know, by code we had to yeah. make sure yeah, the numbers yeah, yeah. matched up. And then my patio, it had one door going to the patio. The patio was huge. It had two exit doors, but it had one from inside the club, and everybody came through the club and would go out. Then, but we had one on the other end of the bar, so we made the. Um, the patio door is like a, 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 a roundabout, whereas you can go out this way and you can come in this way, but you couldn't enter the same exit. So, like, literally, we just had to come and create all these systems. But first CIAA, I thought we killed it. We made, like, forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 that whole weekend. I thought life was great. I was like, oh, my God, yeah. we're saved. <laughs> and then the year came, you know, went through. That's when I started doing the shows and whatnot. I've, I've done, uh, like, almost 200 different artists at the club in that time. But, um 
plan better for the next year. And the next year, um, we scaled into several hundred thousand. Like just, it was it was insane. Like each party was probably like fifty to seventy five k. And I was like, oh my god. So this time I'm in my late twenties and didn't have the wherewithal, skill <laughs> <laughs> set, knowledge <laughs> required to know what to do with that kind of money. Nobody I knew had had access to that mm-hmm. kind of cash at the time. So. Yeah, CIAA kind of was a catalyst for how I expanded in the club space. And then from there, just focusing on quality production and being my own um, motivation as far as kind of the concept. What I've learned in this industry, a lot of people come in and they just kind of pillage the market. Explain explain that right there. there's not a lot of creativity mm-hmm. in the club and bar space. There's a lot, a lot of people kind of just poach ideas, you know, and then they try and recreate, you know, recreate it or try and steal an idea that someone is currently successful at mm-hmm. instead of trying to kind of clarify. When I, when I opened my club, you could still smoke in clubs. I was, a, I was one of the first non-smoking clubs in Charlotte mm-hmm. before they banned smoking. I was a non-smoking club. People was like, oh, that won't work here. And you were like... <laughs> The women loved it yeah. because yeah. it was like, listen. You don't want to smell like cigar or cigarette, cigarette smoke. It was the, the, what I learned was the hair. Mm-hmm. The oh, hair. Yes. Yep. It was the hair. It's like, Outfits, you know, because walking through the yeah. crowd and people had them. Nope, so other clubs, yeah. other clubs, you know, we had, and that's why I said we always had a lot more men. I mean, there was times like eight to one, and it was like, what do you do with that? We don't know. And it was you like, promote yeah. it. <laughs> at some point it's, it becomes counterproductive because yeah. the women want to you know engage me, and have some men buy them drinks and whatnot stuff. or whatever however they choose to engage you know it was just kind of it was it was it was leaning one way but just non-smoking and then my dress code was very strict i got hell about that i've literally been threatened to be shot or killed because i wouldn't let somebody in because of what they had on you know they had their fancy 400 hundred dollar prada sneakers on and I, I didn't allow sneakers in the club yeah. you know so all of that stuff. So I kind of always decided to not do what everyone else was doing because if everybody is doing the same thing, then you have what we had in Charlotte for so long, which was no real culture and nightlife. It was just a bunch of duplicates. Mm-hmm. And so that's that. So I decided to go my own way. But yeah, the creativity level in this industry is not very high in a lot of spaces. <laughs> All right, we're going. <laughs> look over there. Yeah, I do. <laughs> nah, I mean, I think we've talked about that. Yeah, 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 but yeah. I, we won't. We won't. I'm glad. Won't. I'm glad someone besides me explained it. He's very. He's much. He's better. He's very well versed and well spoken. I, I just kind of start yelling and <laughs> dropping name he, venues. He told, and he told me something. The other, he told me something the other night about about how calming my clever down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if it's clever, you don't have to comment. The it's, problem is, it, if it's not clever, yeah. then you really got to temper. Well, no, like, like, make, like what, what was it like being too clever? And, oh, and gotcha. the, Remember? Gotcha. Yeah. Understood. Yes, 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 yes. Don't rely on people to kind of get out there. It was. You know, they don't rely on people to to, to get it. To get it. Mm. Yeah. Bottom line. All right. They're so we're not we, gonna be smart enough sometimes. Yeah. We. we, <laughs> <laughs> we all right. We, right. we do we do something on here called the this or that, and. Uh, 
it, so you gotta pick one of the options. Okay. And I got we're you. just gonna roll through a, a, a slew of questions. And some of these are from Jamil and Ian and Courtney. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, all right, damn. So, so, so. <laughs> wait, can I quit now? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they kept it. They, they kept it pretty professional. All right, so here we go. Uh, number one, Butter Tims or Nike Uptowns. <laughs> Who said that one? I'm Brooklyn. We gotta go, Tim. <laughs> All right, white men can't jump or above the rim. Oh, above the rim. Janet or Michael? Michael. C I double A Charlotte or Baltimore? Well, I get paid both, so <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, I I don't lose anything with it going to Baltimore. I actually just work less, so I, I I'll say Charlotte just because it's my community. I gotcha. All right, uh, Mercedes or BMW? Oh, Mercedes. All right. Cigar bar or hookah lounge? Oh, I never go to a hookah lounge unless, <laughs> unless I'm made to go. Poor and happy or rich and miserable? I mean, I can make myself happy if I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I'll pick happiness every day. All right. Uh, 90s hip-hop or 90s R&B? Oh, shit. Is that a difference? Like, I mean, damn, that's like great and great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going where I was in the 90s. I'm going with hip-hop. Okay. French fries or onion rings? Oh, French fries. All right, now I got to get their other list. Hold on. With toilet paper, you got to do the Oh, toilet yeah, paper uh, toilet paper. Does the roll go over the front or come around the back? Oh, if you go over the back, yeah, it shouldn't be in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I love these responses every time, too. It's like. We've only had one person say that it go, like, goes behind. And, and she, 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 works runs, she runs the whole shebang. Yeah. Uh, you said this is a German business? That's yeah, no. what Huga is like, but she's not. No, they're not, not German. She, he just yeah, used, but she, he, yeah, they I, picked the but word. But she probably got the ideology, you know. Like. It's not German. I think it's <laughs> like. It was a joke, man. Let me I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's one of the, the We had the owner Scandinavian. Of the whole, we had, it was, yeah. It's one of the Scandinavian countries. Yeah. It's not, it's not German. But no, we had the whole entire, we had the owner of the whole shebang yeah. on the podcast. He explained it. It's like literally they picked it off a board or some shit. Yeah. Name, yeah. The name. What it Huga. Shout out Huga, by the way. All right, yeah, Easy peasy yeah. lemon squeezy. All right, shop in store or online? I'm old, man. We, I'd rather touch and feel. I'm a, I agree. All right. Uh, oh, brown liquor or clear liquor? Oh, shit. I'm scotch whiskey all day. All right. <laughs> uh, Beat Street or – oh, wait. No, what's it? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, Can you help that, reading? Here. No, I just got him. Typed out wrong. B Street or Barry Gordy's Last Dragon? <laughs> oh my God. Damn. I, I was all into um, Last Dragon, so. Yeah, I, I, go yeah, I got gotcha. you. All right. Uh, Nike or Adidas? Oh, Nike. Clean the house or work outside? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> Neither, but you know, I'll, I, if the weather's nice, let's go outside. All right. Uh, waffles or pancakes? Pancakes. Car or SUV? I got four children. Damn, he already answered this one, but this one's still a good one. You know, it's I, I drive a big ass yeah. SUV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the wrestling or boxing? Oh, no. Hey, That's different. Rest- no. Oh, okay. Um, boxing. Okay. Um, read or listen? As far as like, a, like sit down and read a book or maybe like listen to a podcast? I never listen to podcasts, so I'm going to go with book. Okay. Lead or follow? (laughs) I'm always choose to lead. All right. uh, Crayons or markers? 
My adult life, I'm gonna go with markers. Ooh, uh, work or vacation? What if your work is vacation? <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, I, I'd rather be working. And then we'll go. This will be the last one. We'll go day party or night party. Hmm. Personally, night party. Boom. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Listen, we appreciate you. I hope I haven't, <laughs> yeah. I hope I haven't bored you guys. No, this no, is fucking like, this is, this is inspirational, man. It's like, I want to like go home and reevaluate things. Right. Focus, focus down. Nah, this is, this one, I appreciate this. This is, I really appreciate it. One, even you asking me to be yeah. here. I've never, for, well, no, you've I've been, never been on a podcast before yeah. and I've only listened to a couple in my entire life. Believe so. it or not, you've been one of the names that's always, it's, but it's, it hasn't been your name until I met you, but it's always like, the, you know, Jay mm-hmm. from Moorhead, Moorhead mm-hmm. Tavern. Mm-hmm. And, and then I never put the pieces together because like I always saw you around, but I didn't know you personally. Mm-hmm. And then when I met you, I was like, and then yeah, I was like, I, no shit, why? And, and and I'm talking to Courtney. I'm like, why the fuck had had you told me to, you know, why haven't we got him on? I've been doing the job, job, job. I'm like, I'm like that's him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Courtney told me he was, he was he was like, yeah, we're doing. It. I didn't hear from you know, Courtney will disappear on you sometimes. Yeah, he will. <laughs> yes. I just I like let people be who they are. But nah, this is awesome. So I thank appreciate you. it. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for thank coming. You, yeah, thank you for being here for sure. You usually ask people social media at the end, but you ain't got none. So which I'm worried about it. Which I like even better. That's even cooler. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna tell you what. Um, when you told me about the, when you sent me, and I looked up the link, and then I hit the the Spotify thing. Now I won't stop playing on my damn phone whenever <laughs> I connect to Bluetooth. So I I'm, I have to like um like um what is it thing unload Spotify because it kept when like I'll get in the car. And, it's, and the podcast will just play. come on. And I'm like, I'm not even, it's not even open. So, <laughs> like, That's why I don't do this shit. <laughs> nah, but this the, is algor- the algorithms. It's getting you, yeah. It's getting you ready it's, to be on So here. when does this come out? Next next week? Yeah, we'll yeah. do it the next Tuesday. Because there's we'll a dude, Tuesday. we'll send it off and it gets edited, like the volumes and levels and yeah. edit and then... Bleep we'll out drop anything. Uh, All right, man, make me sound like an asshole, man. <laughs> nah, of course. <laughs> nah, this is going to be a great one. This, uh, just send us a picture that for the box on the Instagram thing. And if you don't want one of those, we'll just put your name in the box. I'll put my logo. Yeah, yeah. even yeah. better. Yeah. I've seen my company logo. Yeah, do that. Actually, I don't even think I got a logo. <laughs> 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 oh, He's just going to send a giant J. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to tell you the funniest thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, we're done, right? No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, this would be I, good. We'll leave it. Yeah. So I've had my company since two, this particular my promotion company because I do tours, concerts. I do I've done national tours. I uh-huh. do big concerts. I produce the talent for the CIAA. That's why Baltimore, Charlotte, and Matt. I produce the, yeah. the shows like this year. I got Slick Rick, Dougie, KRS One, um, and a bunch of different other artists. But in all these years, I never had a logo for my company because I don't brand my business right i produce i promote i execute i don't have a brand for what i do so you know people like you know this this promotion has its name or that name i don't have one so i never got a logo so i mean i was i send out invoices and i just send them and then we did this big thing and this conference was like listen you need to send us your logo so we can put it in our marketing part our marketing partnership and i was like uh it's like you really don't have like 
I've been working with them for over 10 years. <laughs> 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 you, never had, like you never needed a logo yeah. before. Why are you worried about this now? And, you know, I, my, my, it's a seven-figure business, but yeah. it still don't have a logo. It just goes to show, like, sometimes in business, depending on what your focus is, you can spend a lot of time doing just unnecessary things. Yep. There are people that will spend time on their name and their logo and the look of something, but the execution falls mm-hmm. for whatever it is that they're planning. He just they focused on results. It's yeah. like, yeah. yeah, I'm like, listen, man, you can keep all the shine. They're yeah. more concerned with the clout and the, the or fancy. The look of yeah, it. yeah, yeah. The, just you the know, kind of the flashiness of it. I focus on getting it done because getting it done is how we accomplish things and how we advance. That's why. I, that's how. I, that's why I'm able to kind of. You know, you can never it. have a logo now, ever. <laughs> that has to be like the thing. Like it's. I'm, I, I, I'll get one. <laughs> it's, 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 it's cool. Your, lo- mean, your logo point, should just it. be TBA. Just yeah. yeah. <laughs> we thinking no about sense. it, y'all. We we trying to figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> it could be sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we'll We could tell that story about a year or so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nah, man. Thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs>